I can't think of a fake punchline. Yeah. <laughs> we do, we're recording this over webcam because it's locked down and Matt just flated the air and I, I can't. Uh, I, I can't. I can't do I can't think of a punchline. That was too you funny. Can't, um, you can't come back from that. Um, but it was only funny. It was only funny to me and that, that makes me feel special. So thank oh, you. Well, you are in so many ways. Where? You're a special little <laughs> snowflake. Um, You've read my file. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher. Oh, Matthew, Christopher. Four years, four years, four years, four years. <laughs> We've been doing this. Is this, the, is this the point where someone votes us out? <laughs> oh, that would have happened a long time ago. Uh, <gasps> it's raining. I think that's a sign. It's raining. It's raining. It's, it's been thundery it's all day. Yeah, I've been loving the thunder all day. It's been good, hasn't it? We recorded mm. this gentle listener. Um... On a day where it's been thunder and lightning and rain all day with little patches of sunshine. And I think that's no better day to commemorate four years of this bollocks than on Stormy McGee's day. Um, welcome to the Big Damn Cast. Hello. Episode 208. 208. Geeky gossip, whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Welcome aboard. My name is Chris. We'll explain the stammer, Johnson. Uh, and my name is Matthew. Your soul is mine, Watson. It's about time, really. <laughs> you, you just took it from me in a way. I am actually Shang uh, Sung. Sorry. <laughs> Year one. Year one uh, of Big Damn Cast. We we just sort of. Marvelled at the fact we'd done fifty-two episodes in a row. <laughs> Year two, Year we two. went live on Twitch, and you can watch it on YouTube if you want to see it. It's fun. Um, Matt played the theme on guitar. It was like a gig. It was like. Do you remember a, those? It's like a gig, 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 gig. Do you, do you remember? Do you remember going to gigs? That was fun. Oh, um, gigs. <laughs> uh, Year three, uh, we just talked about Charles playing Toy Story. Nothing weird there. No. And this year, this year. I had the stupid fucking idea of <laughs> saying as we we're do, locked down. As we both, we we can't, both do. Yeah, well, yeah. We but we can't be together and do something different. Or or we could, but we'd be using equipment outside in an environment where it could get rained on, so at opposite ends of a garden, so what's the point? And it is pissing it down so, today, so it is pissing it down. So we would have destroyed several laptops. Um well like Neil Breen, we have so many laptops. <laughs> um so, oh god, which film was that one? Was that Fateful that's, Findings? Uh, that's Double Down. Double Down. Double I Down. I need to find those Neil Breen films, man. I need to find them. Whatever you do, don't don't buy his latest one, which is his filmmaking documentary. Oh yeah, about I saw a little films. bit of that on the. I didn't watch the whole Best of the Worst, but I saw a little bit of it, and he's like, five theatrically produced professional feature films. His behind-the-scenes documentary is like $90 to buy. I love it. I love it so That's much. That's insane. But we, we can't be together, so I was like, well, let's do some irony, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> just a hint of it. Just a little smidgen. Yeah. I was like, since we can't be together, let's do something Let's do something that we like to do together that we can't right now, which is um, get a bit fucked. Uh, uh, how long have you been drinking before we hit record? 
Um, I've been drinking slowly and steadily since about 3 p.m. God damn! So about five um, hours. But it takes a lot for me to get drunk, like. About it's true, oh, you about, are. Oh, one sec. Oh. Oh, he's gonna. Oh, he's checking some. Yeah. Oh, I can see right now. So I can see Matt leaning over and grabbing a bottle of some. I'm about halfway through a bottle of Red Leg Spiced Rum. Oh um, my shit! Okay. Oh. Oh, he just took a big old swig, and then he had very some nice. rum. Uh, very nice. I, I've. It's it's quarter past eight in the evening, and I started about quarter past six, so later than yourself. But uh, I started with a. I started with a single swig of Jack Daniels while I was cooking, mm-hmm. then a triple Jack and Coke, and yeah. I thought, probably shouldn't mix, I'm going to keep going. So I'm currently on my fourth Very drink, good. Third, third Jack and Coke, this to one's you, a double, just, just a temper, to you um, sir! And Lucy's bringing me another one as we record at some point. Excellent. So this is uh, I am I am pleasantly merry right now. Yeah, at some it's point I'm nice. gonna have to walk away from the Skype call and put more stuff in this class. Oh, so. go for it! I'll fill in. I can soft well, shoe. Not... Yeah, we can. I'm soft a turn. Shoe. I'm um, a turn, Matt. I so... can talk for for. I can say words. So before we get into the meat of this of, mm. of our fourth anniversary oh. episode, the, oh, the yes. sweet sweet meat. Um, oh, we thought we juicy red. We thought we switch it up and do the emails up front this week because we got what? some lovely, lovely missives from you all to celebrate our our fourth B day. Um, you can't be messing things around. Yeah. People expect certain things of this show. Um, we can't just change it and do what we want. Oh wait, here we, no, here we, we can. cannot. Emails. Um, so we have some other emails from from the previous week that would we'll save till another time. But we're just going to do the ones that are. That are addressed about our um, fourth anniversary. Um, first one comes in from George. Hey George. With the title. Hey. With the title Ralph Weasley. Um, <laughs> do you did you not understand the origins of Ralph Weasley? I do. <laughs> I do. It's very good. It's um, fucking brilliant. It's just like, oh, wait to come to a defence and just remind us how much of an idiot you are, Graham. Yeah, well thanks. done. Good one, Glynis. Well done. Uh, <laughs> George says, George says, greetings, big damn lads. Um, apologies for the gaps in communication, but I just wanted Don't to wish you... Don't worry about it. I just wanted to Don't wish you about it. a happy Firth and a happy Firth. Happy third, oh. happy oh, fourth anniversary of the podcast. Good start. Time truly does fly when you're having fun. I think it's safe to say that you guys have done amazing to keep going, especially during these difficult times. And it's all—it's just about kept us all sane. Well, as long as it's kept oh, you sane, because yeah. it hasn't fucking worked for me. But thank you. Um, some questions for you. Um, do you think that recent comments made by Rowling will slash should have an impact on Fantastic Beasts moving forward? Um, I'll zoom through the questions, then we'll go for them. Uh, what is your favourite episode of Inside Number 9? With two more series commissioned, pitch me an episode <laughs> that you'll be the guest star in. Um, as always, keep safe, don't go to Primark, and keep on making Big Damn Cast. Thank you for four years, <laughs> and here's to many more! <laughs> Goodbye, my dears. George. Oh. Alright, so first off, what do we think should happen with Fantastic Beasts? Uh, it's going to go ahead because Warner Brothers desperately need a franchise and then they, they don't have a solid continuous one right yeah. now. Like DC's up in the air. No one knows exactly what's happening with it. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but 
I think you're going to see a massive reduction in box office. Yeah, I don't think it. I think it's going to run into some resistance. I wouldn't surprise me mm. if some personnel changes. Like it, it probably more mm. likely behind the scenes because I don't think any of the actors. I mean, already Redmayne's spoken up in uh, uh, in defence of of trans folk, and rightly so. Uh, but I, I, it might be a contractual thing where he can't get out, where he kind of has to do it. You know what I mean? True. Um, that being so. said, maybe maybe the changes somewhere at Warner's goes, Joan, uh, we're gonna use your script, but we're gonna do rewrites. Yeah. And the um, screen credit goes to someone else with story by J.K. Rowling. Wanna... And they just sort of they either Warner Brothers are gonna see a bunch of stars buy out of their contracts mm. and not want to be involved in it, or they're gonna kind of minimize her input to the to a point. So they can make a point of saying like, well, it's, well, it's our film, you know, J.K. Rowling started the series, but it's our film. We made yeah. it like fucking Chris Terrio or some other talentless shit. Yeah, they'll uh, get Chris Terrio to rewrite it. That's what they do with everything. <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's Chris Terrio, it's Chris Terrio or David S. Goyer. Uh, oh, um, yeah. David Go- Imagine David Goyer writing Fantastic Beasts. Do you remember when he just wrote good scripts and then nope. he started opening his mouth and all of his scripts became terrible immediately I don't think, after? Are any of his good scripts solely credited to him? Batman Begins. I think that's just him. Does that have any knowledge? Blade. The first Blade is him. Is it just him? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because he, he, uh, he, he wrote and directed the third, didn't he? And that says a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the third one is... Bad. And um, all the good lines from it are improvised by Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> so. Blade, Blade came up on Twitter <laughs> yeah. the other day. Um, a couple of Twitter people I follow pointed out that how Blade... Was kind of uh, had, a, had a brilliant little moment in it where Blade goes off at the police because they burst into the hospital instead of shooting at the burned, um, blood covered person biting screeching necks, thing with giant teeth. Yeah, they shoot a Blade. Mm. Commentary. <laughs> and Commentary. Does, and he has that wonderful moment where he's like, "Motherfucker, you out of your damn mind." <laughs> And uh, the first blade is uh, almost perfect. The second blade is uh, almost perfect. And the third blade yeah. is uh, garbage. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. my thoughts on the uh, Blade trilogy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they'll downplay Rowling's role. Yeah, and, and I um, would just... I'd, just uh, I'd like them to not do it, but they will do it. But that's a, because... A wonderful, wonderful channel I watch called Council of Geeks. Uh, the main host of that channel, they have a huge affinity for Harry Potter and they, they made two videos this week. One about how to sort of distance the work from the author, like the death of the author thing. Oh, yeah. And how they do it. And how it's how it's totally fine for you as an individual to make the distinction to enjoy the art, but you still have to acknowledge yeah, yeah. when other like, people are in the conversation listen, that I, not everyone will be able to do that. Yeah. I read a um, lot of Lovecraft. That dude was mm. super fucking racist. And yeah. I, I, um, I've, got, I've got the, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society... Um, audiobook, which is all of them, basically. Um, yeah. Audiobooks. yeah. Got that on Audible. And uh, listening to The Shadow Not of Not sponsored, Innsmouth, but, you know. Again. <laughs> um, and The Shadow of Rinsmith is super fucking racist, man. Like, it is Damn. constantly. Like, the narrator going, oh, yeah, well, I, I just don't trust these people because they look weird because they've obviously bred with, like, black people. But obviously oh, God. he doesn't say black people. He says other things. Um, yeah. And it's like, but oh, it's like, God damn me. it, Lovecraft. So it's, it's when I'm when I'm <laughs> experiencing Lovecraft, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here for the the sort of cosmic horror and existential terror that is created by yeah. this. But then you you come across the just 
over because he was racist. He was not just racist for, by the standards of the time. He was super racist by the standards of the time, like unusually yeah. so. Yeah, like even his. So what you're like, saying is, don't build a Lovecraft statue. No, build a Cthulhu statue. Yes, and then to commemorate the good stuff, and then pull it down. But then it's the, you got you've got <laughs> you've got to go into his work acknowledging that it is super racist and that racism. Mm. Lit, like sort of bleeds into the setting because there is yeah. Uh, yeah. no concern about quote unquote interbreeding between uh, non-human species and humans and it's like oh, this is mm. a bit weird so it, I that's something that I come up across quite a lot and you've, you you have got a sort of Sarah Zed did a, a good video on J.K. Rowling almost immediately in yeah. response to the to yeah the, I've not watched it yet it's in my watch later it's queue good, but I, I always good. like her her video essays and um so. Yeah, it's just very much like, yeah, it's kind of not helpful to do the whole, oh, Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter thing because you kind of need to acknowledge that it has problems and the person who created it is problematic. <clears throat> Otherwise, yeah. you're just sort of sweeping it under the rug and not dealing with it. And you this, need to this, is why, it. this is why museums and history books exist, for the exact yeah. same reason. Yeah, to be like, not... this is stuff you shouldn't do. These are people who did it. It's why let's learn from this, please. It's why, yeah. like when we were talking about Song of the South like, uh, last week, like yeah, it's not it shouldn't be deleted. It should be available, but you have to make it available with the caveat that yo, this was made, and even at the time when we made it, it was super racist. So bear in mind, this shit has super racist stuff in it, but it's mm. presented here in the interest of archival completeness. Um, yeah. You your know. preface. Yeah, preface. Yeah. Like we said last week, you don't pretend we were always better. You give us a reason to be better. No, in fact, we have to do. acknowledge that we were worse and move forward. Um, yeah, precisely. Uh, but, but what Councillor Geek said, I'm, I'm on, the, on the same page as them, because after they did that video, they filmed and released, prior to that video, a video after Joe Rowling had made a statement. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. They, basically said, where they basically said, like, I... I, because because they're they're a, a, a trans individual, they're, they're non-binary, and they were like, I, I don't, I don't want to support her anymore. I had the moment I read the thing, my first instinct was to get rid of all of my Harry Potter stuff because it just mm. made me so sad to the core. But I've decided I'm going to keep it because a lot of it is gifts and it's things gifts from other people, gifts to myself. Yeah, yeah. Things that made me happy. She can't take that from what I've what this series has given me. But I will not be reviewing because yeah. obviously they they cover like a lot of pop culture on their channel. They said I will not be reviewing any upcoming Harry Potter products. I ask nicely that everybody who you know buys gifts the PO box, please do not buy me a Harry Potter related gift again. Yeah. Um, and I will not be seeing Fantastic. I know people would like to know my opinion on Fantastic Beasts three when it comes out next year. You know, uh, you know. I was gonna say fingers crossed, but that's the wrong terminology as it is written currently. Yeah. Um. Like I, I'm not gonna be. See, I don't want to. No, I'm not doing it. And it's fair. like, that's how I feel. Because we were going to America late this year. We're now going next year, and we're going to Universal. And and Lucy and I had decided after we'd read her response, it was like, yeah, when we got the Harry Potter sections, we ain't buying shit. <laughs> like we ain't buying shit. Yeah, our money's going at Universal for the ticket to get into that area, but we ain't buying any Harry Potter merch whatsoever. Yeah, I think. So answer the question. I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to yeah. see a decline in um, ticket sales, uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of 
a lot of youth media and like you know uh, millennial reviewers and whatnot, like those who have taken to dominate sites like YouTube and everything. Yeah, we're going to see them not going to review it and not giving it a platform. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's probably a good shout. Um, moving on to the next question: What is your favorite episode of Inside Number Nine? Again, I've not watched that watched that much of it, so I'm just going to go with the Halloween live special because it's fucking great. Oh, you, Deadline Chris? is so good. Uh, Deadline is a close second, but for me, it's either the Twelve Days of Christine or Bernie Clifton's dressing room. I hear they're Twelve both Days Christ- great, but I've not seen. They them. are they are magical. One is just an absolute fucking tour de force performance by Sheridan Smith, and the other one is Do you uh, love like Sheridan the, Smith. She's great, isn't she? And the other one is like an ode to um, an ode to comedy double acts of old, and and mm. and funnily enough, how humor changes and how socially we shouldn't go back to certain things and it's it's yeah they, i mean there you go it's yeah, yeah. okay yeah and yeah um, that stuff's in considering there it's it's, great. considering it's written and starring two men who have done some stuff that already you, you can look back and yeah go, maybe that wasn't a great idea i think that's a pretty yeah. smart thing to do um i love i love a bit of introspection with artists um, oh, absolutely, yeah. And you can tell in that episode that they're, they're not referencing their own work specifically, but no, they absolutely but, yeah. include their own work in, in, in what they're talking about in it. And it's also just a love letter to the golden age of comedy double acts. Um, it, it's it's really sweet. It's like, oh, it's one of those where at the end you're like, oh, inside number nine, twisty kind of premise, but also I feel really warm inside. It's, it's a good one. Um, it's really good. I don't feel like I can pitch an Inside Number 9 episode because I don't think I have the knowledge of the of the format. I, I wouldn't. But yeah. how about you? Do you have an Inside my, Number 9 episode that you want to pitch? My pitch, quite simply, is let Steve and Reese do their thing. <laughs> just, let them, just let them come up with it. They've, they've done five full series in a Halloween special so far. That's what, six... Six per series, or six times five, 30. 31 episodes mm. so far of Inside Number Nine. Uh, they've all been stellar and they've been given two seasons more, which means that the BBC are like, you guys can do this. Um, my only request is maybe instead of a pitching episode, maybe see if BBC and Reese and Steve can have a chat with comic book artist Rachel Stott. Have you seen her fan work? Yeah, her like dedicated her, like, to it. Like it was like a one-page fan comic, like Inside Number Nine fan comic. It was brilliant. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you yeah, because it started with a tribute image where it's like the two of them in the suits from the promo material. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like bursting through a doorway and all these different items around them. And as Series Five went out, she added another item for yeah. it for each episode. Um, but yeah, recently she did like it was like a four-page silent comic uh, uh basically her idea of a an episode of inside number nine and it's a, it's in like a space rover on the moon yeah it's great and it's great it's so simple without any dialogue and it's like oh that's so good her likenesses are amazing like if anyone's yeah. seen her work in the oh, 12th god, and 13th yeah. doctor comics yeah she did a bit of ninth doctor as well and it's like oh my god can you just draw all the things i do like, I like phil noto is another really good artist who can yeah capture likenesses really well um there was some artists during the dark horse buffy days that managed to skirt that line beautifully where it was like everyone was absolutely recognizably the cast member you knew but it wasn't like a dead-on like brian hitch style like this nah. is me being realistic um, uh, I mean, said there's a there's a place for that. I like Brian Hitch's yeah. uh, like Ultimates work, for example. The Marvel Star Wars stuff sort of veered back and forth on that because like John Cassidy got the likenesses down really well, but then Salvador Larocca was doing it. He's like, yeah, that dude's 
using a bit too much photo reference. Like, yeah, that's from that oh, scene who, in Star Wars. That's from that scene in Star Wars. Who did the Obi Wan uh, story? The the one like it's like issue seven or whatever. Oh, like from the where, journals of Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh, I'm that not, one's superb because sure it's who just. Drew that. I'm not sure who drew it's, that. I could get it, but I'll probably drop my headphone. Um, is that one superb? Because it's like it. Obi Wan looks looks halfway between McGregor and Guinness. Yeah, and it's, it's brilliant, flawless it's brilliant. to the point where Hot Toys uh, sideshow sideshow collectibles made a toy of it, and it's it's insanely yeah, beautiful. It's, it's like, really good. I I believe really that you and McGregor becomes Alec Guinness now. So good. Hello there, he says. Um, if you pull a string on his back, that's so good. I love it. I love Did it. you see that flash of lightning? Yeah, I can hear the rumble of thunder. Oh. Becoming, becoming my way. Thunder. Um, yeah, there it is. Um, there it is. Oh my god, how weird is that? Like know, you right? just heard it, and then like ten seconds later, I'm hearing it. Oh, it's so weird. I'm hearing it now. Oh, there it, is. There it be. Um, there it be. This one comes in from so, James. Oh, James, James, what are you doing, James? James, you, quick, get, get grab the bucket. The boat's filling up, James. He says, Chris, Matt, you're here. Hello there. Um, Hello there. Well, you're not here. I am there through the form of an email. If this has reached you in time, this should be your fourth anniversary. We've had some good Ah. times, haven't we? From Megs on Legs to whatever Venom was. To celebrate this momentous (laughs) occasion, I will ask you three questions. So three questions for our fourth anniversary. Um, I woke up this morning to the news that Cineworld plans to reopen its doors on July 10th. Is this too soon? Uh, Question two, Benson or Benson? Uh, question three: How many Neemans, How many Nymons have you seen today? Ah. Uh. So, uh, question one: <laughs> July tenth. Is it too early? Um, I think it is too early, but only because yeah. the government has spectacularly fucked up the lockdown and its containment. So, um, now, if you want to open them up for New Zealand and just let them get a sneak yeah. preview of every film, let them let them have it. Yeah, like, I think I think July tenth is too early <laughs> to open cinemas. It wouldn't be too soon if too this soon. whole thing had been handled properly by our fucking feckless and corrupt government. But it uh, it hasn't been handled properly by our fucking feckless and corrupt government, run by a blonde buffoon uh, who uh, idolizes the world's most. <laughs> ridiculous clown who just so happens to be the president of the United States. Um, I love how you called him a boffoon. It was like a combination oh, of a boff-headed uh, gentleman and a buffoon. It was he, beautiful. He's like a... It was good. He's like a oh, racist lightning. mop. <laughs> he is! He's a racist mop. He's like a... But but like a crusty mop that, that was used once and then put in the garden and then someone put it in a cupboard after a couple of weeks and they forgot yeah. about it and it's all crusty and spiky. Yeah. Awful. Awful, awful. Um, yeah, I think it is too soon. Um, mm. I, I honestly, but I, I, I want things to go back to normal, but it's just, just not safe yet. And I'm really yeah. torn about, I'm really torn about shops opening again, but I'm also yeah. trying to get a job. So I'm kind of glad they're opening again, but then it's hard because you yeah. don't go out there yeah. and contribute. Like I, I always wear a mask when I go out now. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just not. It's not even a consideration. I know masks are mandatory on public transport now, but I don't know how well that's being enforced because I haven't been on public transport since fucking um, since February. Um, yeah. So yeah. My wife knows? has been using the bus the last couple of days, and she because she's been going to work mm. where she and all the employees 
wear masks and have sanitizer and distance. Uh, customers, not so much. Um, they conversely, the uh, supermarkets never really seem to bother with the masks and sanitizer. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. But these or the sanitizer's just like on a table with some yeah. towel paper towels next to it. You're like, what's this? Like, like it, what is everyone's been touching this the bottle? Way, what the way is they this? The supermarkets is almost if the staff don't exist. Yeah, like they don't distance. They don't. The only PPE I saw any of them wearing was in when it first went out in the Asda near us. The folks at the, like the the scan and go checkout area had the proper shields and gloves and stuff. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. Like no one mm. else seems to be, and they got the shields up at the the counters. But mm. the staff who were going around stocking up shelves, none of them were wearing masks and gloves, and I'm wondering if that's a failure on the individual's part or a failure on the company's part. I'm probably going to put it towards the company because if I know companies as well as I do, and let's be honest, we've worked for enough companies between us to know them as well as we do, mm-hmm. they'll have wanted to save money. <laughs> so yeah. they wouldn't have given people gloves and masks. And yeah, so. And I, I can't imagine it, that Cineworld is going to be in any better position. Like, this shit's not going to be over until July 10th. The second wave's going to be ramping up by July 10th, so. Yeah, it's too weird. soon for cinemas, but that's fine because do you know what it means, guys? It just means you've got months to revisit stuff you've seen and love, or watch stuff you've never seen on all these bloody home media services we're all paying for, and we don't spend enough time actually looking for things, yeah. new things. And it also means when the cinemas do reopen later in the year, Touchwood, we're going to have a boatload of stuff like so coming out in succession. Much stuff, it's going to be great. But no Universal really films, because all, all the chains are going, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Chris, Benson or Benson? Uh, uh, I don't think Benson gets enough credit, or even credited. Uh, for anyone who's wondering what the hell we're on about, continue to do that. <laughs> Benton's my boy. Uh, and how many <laughs> how many diamonds have you seen today? Why? <laughs> Three! <laughs> there we are. I've still not seen the Hordes of Diamond. I need context <laughs> for that. Um, okay, and, and finally, this one comes in from uh, the mysterious Dan and both his <gasps> knees. Um, says, Dan, Dan, the need man. He says, Happy mm, existence. He's got day. a need. Happy Aww. existence day. Uh, greetings, my big damn boy. Who's this emerging through the darkened mist? Alas, it is I, constant loyal listener, but very infrequent emailer, Dan. You may remember the time you were fascinated by my knees, or that time you <laughs> called me a rusty apologist. Personally, my highlight was having my email be the headline topic of an episode. Ideal Marvel what if. Um, anyways, enough about me. I love me. that thumbnail, it's creepy. Enough about me. I just wanted to say thank you once again for consistently giving me something to look forward to each week and providing a wealth Uh of auditory goodness for my many long bus trips. I may not email often as I'm a busy chap and always miss the email deadlines, but I'm always listening. Always! (laughs) My favourite apps include your Monster Mashup and both your Top 10 Doctor Who's, which are particularly good for those previously mentioned bus journeys. Finally, some quick questions. I've been watching Buffy recently for the first time at long last. And without spoilers, can you give me your thoughts on the overall arc of the series? E.g. start good, get better, start good, get better, get worse. Um, have you played Fallen Order? And if so, what are your thoughts? It's actually pretty good. Uh, put your reluctant hats on. You've been put in charge of Doctor Who's 60th anniversary celebrations. What do you do? 
one multi-doctor special, a special series of the docudrama a la Adventure Space and Time. Enough from me and this mammoth email. Eat, drink, and be as merry as you can in this inferno timeline we now live in. <laughs> Goodbye, <laughs> my dears! The mysterious time both his knees and a single kiss. Um, so, <laughs> Buffet. The overall arc of Buffet, I think it starts off pretty strong. It bam. peaks around... I think it peaks in season five. And then season, bam, bam, bam. season six and seven are strong. I think it ends really strong. I really mm. like the, the finale. Um, I think it's mostly pretty consistently good. Like, there's no there's no period of Buffy where I'm like, that's garbage. Yeah, it, ne- it never goes it never goes below good telly. Mm. It just it ebbs and flows between like yes, it, 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 it it's it's always fluctuating between a five out of ten and a nine out of ten. Yeah. And then every now and again you get a The Body or a Hush where it's like, well, that's a solid 10. Well, Keeks is re-watching Angel at the moment and she's just coming to the end. Drop the beat! She's just finished season two. So she's just done the whole alternate dimension arc with the Grusalag and Princess Cordelia and all that fucking great stuff. Chris um, McCarthy's having a whale of a time. Yeah, I think I like the first season of that show, but when in the second season when Lawn comes in and um Oh Lawn takes it up a notch. Great. Yeah. I fucking love yeah. that guy and um uh the actor who passed him away who, who played him passed away uh, in a few years back, so Yeah, I, it wasn't wasn't too long after it actually. No, I don't no, think. No. So uh, that's that's a shame. And Andy Hammett, I wanna say. Andy's coming to mind. I, um, I'm 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 a bigger Buffy fan than I'm an Angel fan. Yeah. But I, I did watch out all of Angel. Yeah, but um, um, that character's fucking great. Um, and I must contract with the Grusalag. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> have uh, welcome you, aboard, you, Matt. <laughs> you've played Fallen Order. I haven't played Fallen Order, but I've seen Keats play a lot of Fallen Order. What did you think of Fallen Order? Ooh, I've not finished it because I stopped enjoying it. Um. I think it's very glitchy. Keeks really I think liked it, and I think you just got unlucky on that because I don't think she's had many glitches. Yeah, I think I think the main thing that lost me was two things. One, I've I've never dark soulsed, and it is the most dark soulsy, not dark souls it can be. Obviously, not as tough. It's very as someone it's... who's only really played Demon Souls and Bloodborne, and even then, not very mm. much of them because I'm fucking terrible at those games. Mm. It, it doesn't seem too dark soulsy. Uh, I mean, no, no, Keeks, no, but it, it, Keeks got through it, and she's not really a fan of that kind of that kind of game design. So, and she, well, it's action action adventure and hack and slash is sort of my bag, and I'm yeah. not great at my like riposting and and sword fighting as a mechanic. I like it's just it's not something I gel with as well as I do say mm. you know um, your Arkham's or your Spider Man 2018 stuff where it's like fast paced action swift switching between. Keep talking. You know, like, I'm just going to up my drink. That's right. Where it's like sporadic planning and uh that kind of thing all right while he's gone everybody please send help he's keeping me in a basement he's keeping me locked up in a dirty dirty basement the basement's directly beneath his chair he makes me clean his feet with my tongue i hope you know that he's going to kill me now (laughs) listen it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again (laughs) Puts the lotion on your feet or else it gets a naughty treat. Um, so... Who the fuck do you think I am? Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> <laughs> the 
best friends with the current president of the United States. So, uh, just to reiterate, that, um, yeah, it, it's if it's about thinking on your feet with like gadgets and combat, I'm okay with that. But when it's about reposting and things like that, it's just not my bag. Plus, I, as a gamer, am completely lost and saddened at the thought of, oh, here's where I, here's how I save. But also that thing that I just took 20 minutes to kill right next to this is about to reappear the moment I save. I'm like, fuck that. Like, yeah. And I think it's because I, I want the story more than the combat. And to me, it was a more combat than story balance. But it might have just felt that way because I thought the story just wasn't particularly interesting. I like what all I've the seen big, it. Yeah, all the big developments happen on the ship between three, yeah. three people talking to each other. And I'm like, I just sort of... I get what you mean. If... It, the, the, the FMVs that actually ramped up the sort of momentum are too few and far between for me. I do like those characters though. From what I was, like uh, Grease, the pilot is fucking Grease is great. great. He's good, um, and and I like I like the the ninth sister and that boss fight yeah, on yeah. Kashyyyk. That's wonderful. Like that's very very cool. Um, but I got stuck on I got stuck up without going too spoilery. I got stuck on your 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 surprise dark something character later on in the third act. I just couldn't quite get the handle of the boss fight at the combat, and after seventeen tries in a row, I just went. Eh, if that's I put the, it down, if that's the knowing bit, I knowing I wouldn't be able to get past that bit again if I just picked it up again. If that's so the I bit like, I think it is, then yeah. you're right at the end of the game, and also yeah, there's like there's just, like one more thing after that. You just yeah. you don't do the fight; you just run away. Well, after a certain amount of because that's another thing that happens in it. You never defeat anyone. Every boss fight is oh well, oh, oh, they're nearly defeated. Cutscene. It's like oh, okay, <laughs> okay then. All right. I think I think uh what's his name? Thingy Monaghan. Cameron Monaghan. Cameron Monaghan. Really he's like great. performance, yeah. He's and... he's great in it. And BD1 is an adorable oh, droid. The way he does his little <laughs> tappy toes whenever you give him an upgrade. Yeah. He's like a little dog. He's like a little bipedal dog. I love him. I love I him love when it. I want one. And I like the, I like the the randomly spawning bounty hunters that appear in some revisits mm. when you can revisit certain locations. And you suddenly just got these weird bounty hunters who are like, "Oh, there he is! Get him!" And you're like, "Oh, mini boss fight!" Especially because yeah. there's that one there's that one on the 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 home world we spend ages trying to find the I can't remember what they're bleeding called. You know the one with the womp rat little buggers and it's just, and the big whale thing and all that shit. No, no clue, but I'll go with Ogdo it. Bogdo and all that crap. Um, <laughs> There's, uh, uh, yeah, I never defeated the albino spider on Kashyyyk, but uh, Ogdo Bogdo and all that shite, on that world, there was a bounty hunter that appeared inside the old Jedi's, like, den, you know, where it had one of the thing, one of the doorways is just a giant extractor oh, okay. fan, and I managed to stop the fan, get through it, and as soon as the robot kind of came toward it, he was jeering at me, I used force pull as soon as the fan started up again. And he had half of his life, and I just killed him in one move. Brilliant! That's pretty. <laughs> so stuff good. like that was fun. That's I think. I good. think. I think the wealth of Jedi powers was great, but it just made me. It just made me want to go back and like play. Um, uh, oh, what the hell were they called? The the two that were on PS3, with where you were Darth Vader's uh, Force Unleashed. Force. It just made me want to play them again because that was more hack and slash. That's more my my bag. The, the PC yeah. Jedi Knight games got re-released on Switch. I might pick them up at some point. Give them Do, it. I, Do I, it. I did have Jedi Outcast on GameCube, and that was fucking great. Um, oh, have you seen the, have you seen the Squadrons trailer? 
I've not seen the Squadrons trailer, but I know it's five on five dogfighting, and I I personally feel that the spaceship combat is the best bit of Battleground of uh, Battlefront uh, Two. So I'm all for it because I like me some fucking Star Wars spaceship combat. That's what I'm. You're a ro- you're a Rogue Squadron boy. I'm a Rogue Squadron guy. Yeah, I'm fucking terrible at them, but I love love them. Um, so yeah, I'm um, down for Star Wars Squadrons. Um, okay, so have you got your reluctant hat on? I always have my. Re- yeah. I'll put one on. I'll put so a hat on for you. We'll do the. Uh, so what would put you? A hat on. What would you got do? Hat on. What would you do if you were in charge of the 60th Doctor Who anniversary? Blow it all up. No, I'd get them all drunk and make them film an episode. Um, uh, no, I tell you what, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'd do, but I tell you what, I'd want in it. It's only three years away. So presume, presuming that we've got two more seasons with Jodie, so a twenty twenty one season and a twenty twenty two season. I think it's more likely we've probably only got one more season with Jodie. Well, in my version, she's in two. Just shut well, up. I'm just saying, like <laughs> three three seasons seems to be the magic number. True, but also production's delayed like crazy now, mm. so it's likely that that we won't get a new full season till like twenty twenty two. And if Joe Martin isn't the next Doctor, there will be riots. Well, this She's is what right. I do. I would have it be yes, I'd go tradition, and I'd have it be a multi Doctor story. Oh but the yeah, only other do- it, you? the only other Doctor I'd have in it is Paul. All I'd tell right. a story with I'd tell a story with the eighth and the thirteenth. Uh, maybe simultaneous timelines that eventually ends with their story crossing at the end of it. So we get like one lovely scene with the two of them, like extended scene with them interacting proper. But I would also make it Jodie's last story. Yeah. And I would cement the future of the program. And we've talked about this before. You don't want people to think the woman doctor was a one-off gimmick. No, no, no. So you'd want all eyes on the anniversary. So I'd have Jodie in it. And in the last scene of it, Jodie would regenerate nice. into Joe Martin. And that's how the 60th would end. And you'd be like, wait, what? Because it would absolutely be a hook for you to stick around. It's like, wait, how is she? How is that Doctor the next? What? And you'd have to obviously stick around a thingy. Plus you solidify in the fact that a female Doctor wasn't a one-off gimmick. And, yeah. you know, and, and everyone, all eyes would be on the program. You know, and what? What better a monumental occasion to be like? It's the sixtieth. Guess what, Mother Lumpers? Guess like, what, black melon and female doctor. So guess what, your bags of offal. Thank you so much. Uh oh, yeah. Do you want to keep the door open then, just in case? Sorry, uh, Lou's going for a bath, and I'm going to keep the doggy in the office with me because I am a glutton. Thank you, beautiful woman. She's brought me more drinks. I'm in the kitchen, so I've got drinks at my fingertips. Um, We're going for another seven hours now. How yeah. about you? What do you do for Doctor uh, Who's sixth birthday? I would change the format of the show. Mm. I would have the 60th special be a multi-Doctor story. Aye. Uh, bring back as many surviving Doctors as is feasible, mm? but also introduce a bunch of new Doctors. And then what? going forward, have the format of the show be an anthology. So that oh. every week is a different doctor, and then going forward, you can have intertwining storylines with different doctors dealing with the same planet or society over different <gasps> episodes. Oh, oh, oh! What about like the Destiny of the Doctors audio stuff they released for 20, 2013? Mm. Like it was a different doctor each month, and then the eleventh one came out in November, the anniversary month. What if 
you do a new story every month. Say you've got six returning doctors, right? Yeah. So say you've got like Eccleston, Tennant, Smith, Capaldi, uh, Martin, if you want to get really wibbly wibbly, and and uh, McGann, right? Yeah. So that's six doctors. What about? Um, so so uh, it would be. So it'd be one story in May. Six. Mm. Basically, what I'm saying is seven specials. One story okay. in May. One story in June, July, August, September, October, and then November is where the stories converge and they all cross over. Ooh, so nice! You, you yeah, build yeah, yeah. you build anticipation over half a year that oh oh in the last one, they all go and get together. Yeah, and you. But that, everyone gets a spotlight. That's what I do though. Is I I I change the format of the series to be like. 10 episodes and three different doctors. Yeah. So you get those doctors doing different and you could even in the in the same episode you could have it with multiple storylines. It might be tricky with the 45 minute format so you might not want to do that but you could experiment. Have parallel storylines with two different doctors in two different periods or even have it where two doctors land in the same period and avoid actively avoid each other. So you have a Back to the Future Two style thing where you've got the t- yeah. where you have one episode told from one doctor's perspective and the other episode told from the other doctor's perspective, and then you have that crossover bit. So you have that you save a bit of money on sets and you you basically shoot the two episodes concurrently. So you got two episodes yeah. out of one production cycle and uh, that kind of thing. I, that's what I do because I think if you're going to introduce the idea that there's basically infinite doctors, which I think is great, like because it just it just gives the show so much more scope and um, potential then yeah. you might as well fucking play with it. You know what I mean? That's a good point. You make a good point, sir. You're hired. And also, it means you can you can get more actors for less intensive production cycles so they'll stay on the show longer, potentially. True. A reverse... A reverse... Troughton. Yeah! We're going to give you seven weeks off. What? <laughs> no! That's not a thing! I thought you wanted me to work to the bone. <laughs> right. We've so done I could meet emails. Peter Davison in the BBC bar and say, three years, then get out, son. <laughs> <laughs> we've, done, we've done with the emails, so... I'm going to celebrate by temporarily taking my headphones out and turning the light on, because it's getting dark in here. It's getting... Don't say anything untoward. I turned fucking voice assistant off on my tablet, and it's still doing voice assistant stuff for no reason. It's very, very vexing. Did you say anything untoward while I was away? No, 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 no. And if it did, I'll let it out because I'm editing this tomorrow when I'm sober. Oh, uh, poor boy. Potentially poor sweet sober. Boy. <laughs> hey, um, fifth one. Fifth one. There we uh, go. Chin, uh, chin. That's how much room I've got left. Oh, my God. You ready? You ready? Special effects. Hey. Bit of foley. <laughs> let me get those. Ah. Let me get that trotted on. Um... <laughs> Fuck off, voice assistant! What are you doing? <laughs> what? It's really good to hear from you. I hope you're staying well. Fuck you! <laughs> um, why that was coming up? Um, so why did that happen? The meat of the episode. You're drunk. Yeah. And you're gonna tell me about something. What are you gonna tell me about, Matt? Yeah. I have to. I have to apologize. Why? You see, dear listener, or viewer, hi government, um, we... 
the government get is monitoring t- the big damn cast. You heard it here first. Get your tinfoil hats out, fucks. Um, we set each other a bit of a challenge last week when we said, let's let's get tipsy. And what should we do for the... Do you know what? Do you know what? We like, we like telling each other about shit the other one like hasn't seen or, yeah. or heard yet or whatever. We like telling each other, oh, you've got to check this out because it does this and it does that and it does that. Mm. I thought, I said, let's let's pick something each to to describe to the other one. Yeah. Tell a little bit of storytelling. We yeah. are thespians, yeah, after yeah, yeah, all. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I didn't pick one thing. No? I picked one thing and two versions of it. Oh. I'd, I'm going to give you a Cliff Notes version of one of my favourite books from my childhood. Yeah. I hold in my hand, as the listener can hear, yeah. paper. I hold here in my hand a 2002... Yep. Yeah. 2002 copy of the Owen Colfer book, Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl. This, as you can see on the webcam, is well-worn and aged to shit. Okay. This has travelled, this has been read, it's silver spy and is creased to bastardy. Yeah. Yeah. This is... This is, as described by Owen Colfer in uh, the blurb for the later editions, Die Hard with Fairies. I like Why it. have I brought up Artemis Fowl? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. This is the plot of the book Artemis Fowl. Yeah. Matthew Watson, sir. It's a young, adult, it's a young adult novel, um, aimed more so at kids and teenagers, but it's it's got some gristle in it. So we begin... Uh, we begin in, let me double check, I put little notes in it, they've all fallen out. <laughs> oh, God. We we begin, in Ho- we begin in Ho Chi Minh City, which is in Dubai? Ho, Ho Chi, Chi Minh? Minh? That it? sounds like fucking China, mate, not Dubai. Oh, I was never good at, 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 at maths. So, fucking hell. Uh, we begin in Ho Chi Minh. There's a young boy called Artemis Fowl, 12 years old, crisp in a suit, pale, gaunt face, smug fucking little grin on his face at all times. And a giant mountain of a man with a shaved head uh, uh, with him and piercing blue eyes called Butler. Artemis Fowles comes to Ho Chi Minh. Butler! No, but he could have played him if the film had been made 12 years ago. What oh, film? Okay. Shh. No film. So, he they're in Ho Chi Minh because they have found the final lead toward acquiring something that Artemis wants. Mm. The thing that Artemis wants is called The Book. The Book. See, Artemis comes from a long line of criminal masterminds, a family called the Fowls who live in Ireland, who's in... Fuck you, Shut up, you you scary government robot! Um, So, Artemis' family are a family of criminal masterminds and their wealth has been accrued for over over centuries from a life of crime. Um, His father was a noted criminal, but he went missing, presumed dead, about two years ago. Uh, his mother has gone into a catatonic state of, of hushed insanity and is living in an attic bedroom in the manor, unable to cope with it. Sometimes she doesn't even recognise her son. I like where um, this is going. This is it's pretty it's pretty horrible. Good children's um, book. Thing is, Artemis has gotten wind over the years of the existence of fairies. Fairies being the overall blanket term for a race of different creatures that live have lived for centuries and lived below the earth. Um, 
everything, every fairy story you've ever heard, every myth, every legend, every housewife's tale passed down about little men visiting the kitchen, repairing shoes, about about leprechauns, about all this. It's all true, it's just not accurate. <laughs> and Artemis, Artemis has learned that... Is it true, then? Is it true? It is true. It is... It is... It is... They, the existence of them is true. What they do is not strictly what's in the stories, but... All right. He learns of the society. He's He's got enough evidence to suggest that there is uh, a tome that each of them carries around called the book. This tiny little book that basically contains the lore of them them as a people. It explains what magic is. Okay. explains like the etiquette of their society. Okay. So in Ho Chi Minh, they, they get there and... Uh, the, the source points them to put a source they're paying handsomely or they're going to kill him. Uh, if he, he either reneges on the deal and they kill him or he goes along with what he doesn't want to do and they pay him 20 grand and send him on his way. Um, they arrive to this elderly woman who's got a scabby little green scaly hand and they feed her rice wine. No, feed her whiskey because she'll only talk for whiskey. And then he explains, actually, you've just drank holy water and if you are what I think you are, you're going to burn up and die in the next two minutes. Uh, over here in this vial is the cure. No. Uh, uh, you can have it. You can have it right now, but you have to give me your book. And the woman's oh. like, piss off! And he's like, mm, okay, but you're going to die. And she starts to burn up and bubble from the inside. So she swears, like, she, she makes him swear to give it back, and he says, all I need it, all, all I do, all I need it for 30 minutes, that's all. So he gives her the thing, she gives him the book, it's a tiny little thing. Him and his butler called Butler, take a shitload of high-res photos of it, immediately send it to the server back in Ireland so that this copy's, like, backed up and everything. It's not just on the camera they're using. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, right, bye. And Butler's like, you're not going to... We should probably kill her. You know, g- gently pulling out the often-mentioned-in-this-kid's book Sig Sauer that he keeps in oh, a yeah, holster yeah, yeah. under cool, his shoulder. He says, we should put a bullet in her head now. and We should put a bullet in her head now and kill her. Yeah, and all right. Artemis is like, she's not going to go back to the... Now that she's rest- her magic's restored, because like her health's gonna come back, she ain't gonna fucking go to the fairies and tell yeah. tell them what she's done. The next several months, Artemis spends deciphering the fairy language, finding common parlance like uh, uh, f- symbols that match it from languages around the world. His mum thinks he's in school when she is cogent enough to be able to understand that she has a son. Uh, really, he's just in the manor all the time doing this mass research with Butler all and right. Butler's younger sister Juliet, uh, who are both part of the family called Butler, who train as assassins, um, uh, 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 bodyguards. Uh, essentially, imagine if Batman was a snarky little shit twelve-year-old, okay. but, still, but still a genius, and Alfred came from a long line of Alfreds who were all Batman. <laughs> Like that's that's the dynamic. Artemis is the mastermind. Butler is the muscle. Um, Butler's a sworn to the Fowl family, and this Butler has been looking after looked after Artemis's dad for a bit, and now looks after Artemis. Okay, okay. He gets enough information. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Holly Short. Meanwhile, the Butchers of Doom. Yeah. One of the fairies, but they're they're actually elves. The fairies comprise of elves, gnomes, goblins, and dwarves. There are other species, like trolls, but we'll get to them. Are you um, speciesist? They're all species. No, no. Uh, elves physically are basically, imagine like human proportioned people, but about the height of a child. Holly Short is described as having um, having uh, dark skin, auburn hair, and a pixie cut. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha
Ah. And looking to, looking to be in like her in like her late twenties, but the height of a child. Okay. Um, she is eighty years old, quite young for an elf or a fairy, and yeah. she's part of the Lep Recon, the Lower Elements Police Recon Unit. Um, the Lep Recon have been around for thousands of years. They used to be a little bit more odd. Mm. Uh, they eventually changed the uniform of buckles and tall hats when humans mm. started to write about them. They're now in green armor with helmets and mechanical wings. Uh, their job is to keep peace wait, in the, the fairy world. Is this about yeah. the militarization of the police? There is commentary in this about how they have unnecessary amounts of force for their day-to-day job. Yes! This is from 2001. I love um, it! Defund the police! So, so, uh, <laughs> so, so uh, she's part of the Lep Recon and her boss, Commander Root... Who's this rough and tough, like Jameson with a with a beer gut, fungus cigar between his teeth, three barreled laser gun in his holster at all times. I love this. I He's love it. Always, always giving her a hard time. He's always shitting on her. And she finally confronts him about it at the start of this book, and he's like, "Why are you so hard on me? Like, it's, it's because I'm the first girl in the like recon, isn't it? Like, you just you don't think a girl can do the same as the the, the male fairies." And Root breaks the sort of breaks his facade a bit and goes. No, I'll be honest. I'm hard on you because you're the first girl in the unit. Because mm. if you fuck up like you did on such and such assignment last month, they're never going to let another girl in this unit. It's not going to happen. We need change. We need new perspectives. We're already people already think that we're sh- that we're horrible and that we use too much excessive force. And she's like, "You love killing things." And he's like, "Yes, but that's beside the point." <laughs> so it's like, "Oh my god, there's commentary in this as well." But he's like, y- "You need to not fuck up." So. We've got word that a troll has buried its way out from the middle of the earth. Trolls are big, mean fuckers with giant tusks, long pointed nails and really wiry, hairy backs. Um, Their fangs can paralyze you. Their claws can rip skin like just by grazing it. They're horrible and they're the only kind of feral creature in this society. Mm. Occasionally, one manages to end up in an exhaust port to the surface and ends up in the land of mud people, the people who occupy the planet above. This troll's got up there. You're on recon. Dead simple. We're sending you up. Tell us where it is. Monitor its location and call the rest of the team in. So Holly meets with Foley, who's a centaur. Bit of a hippie, bit of a conspiracy. Not always wears a Tim Fall hat, but he's their Q. I do and like Foley, centaurs. He's great. Foley is great. And he's he's just, he's wonderful. And he, he's like, right. So I'm going to send you up in this thing. It's basically a pod. We use lava from the Earth's core to blast you up to the surface. You'll be in there within like two minutes. And I've got you wired up. We've got like iris uh, cams for you. Keep an eye out for this thing. Let us know where it is. And she's like, cool. Thing is, all fairies have, uh, all elves have an element of magic about them. They have certain spells and powers that they can do. But only if they top up the ritual. Every few years, they need to go up to the surface on a full moon and bury an acorn under the ground near an oak tree. Old school fairy shit. Like, they have to do that, and it replenishes their magic. It's called the ritual. Holly's not done it in a while, but she she can't... She She's terrified of telling Root that she hasn't done it in case she gets reprimanded for that, too. Mm. She goes up to the surface, and this troll immediately starts to attack this, uh, like, wedding in Italy. It just it zeroes in on this town and starts smashing through the wall. And she's like, I'm going in. They're like, no, wait till we get there. She's like, I'm, it's going to kill people. So without her magic and just the basic of weaponry, she manages to distract and, and put off this troll just enough that they can take it out the moment they arrive. She's, of course, reprimanded, but Root sees that she was trying to do the right thing. And he's like, 
why didn't you heal after it attacked you? It's like, you're, you're not burning hot. You're low on magic. Right. <sighs> after this, you're having, a, you're having a suspension period of two weeks. Go and do the ritual and then come back home. Do She's the ritual. Like, yeah. So she's like, oh, while the while the fairies are going around, men in black mind wiping everybody at the party and, and trying to do up the damage as best they can and subdue mm. this horrible creature. So Holly flies. She goes to, there's some obvious spots within Europe, but they're a bit touristy. It's a full moon. All the old school fairies are like going to hang out in these places. So she keeps going. She keeps going. She flies over like Disneyland Paris and is tempted to hang out there. Apparently, according to one paragraph, uh, there are a few lap recon agents who, who hide within Disneyland Paris uh, on shift duty in the Snow White ride. Which I thought was quite funny. Um, yeah. Uh, she gets to Ireland. And there's one particular like creek and, and that she there's an oak tree because there's only so many oak trees that qualify now. And She looks around, she finds an acorn, she's about to do the ritual and a freaking trank dart just about misses her. She turns around and she's confronted by this smarmy 12-year-old boy and this fucking mountain of a dude. And before she can fly away, before she can perform the ritual or get away, she gets tranked. Holly wakes up in a concrete room recently built in the basement of Foul Manor. Mm. Everyone's wearing reflective sunglasses, Juliet, Butler and Artemis, because the fairy's most basic form of magic is called the Mesmer. They look in your eye and they can temporarily take control of your mind. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah. So they're wearing reflective sunglasses. They're like, look, we know you're out of magic. That's why you went there. She's like, how do you know any of this? And Artemis is like, I've spent the last few months deciphering your entire fucking history, but I'm not going to tell you why. So here's what's going to happen. I know your people have a ransom for this really rare eventuality that like a, a, someone up above will find out something. They have, they have a, a supply of gold. I want it. Gold! And they're going to give it, they're going to give it to me in exchange for you. She's like, you're fucking despicable. And he's like, yeah, because I'm yeah. fucking Artemis Fowl. I'm the title character of this book and I'm also its villain. Fuck you. Um, villain protagonist. What? Yeah. So Holly starts to, she realizes she's in a concrete room, but she realizes she's underground and she starts to every now and again, just smack the bed, like the cot that they've put in there for her into the ground. Cause she's like, if I do it enough times and do it quickly, I might be able to break the surface and get to just the basic bit of dirt. It's going to be full moon all night. If I bury the acorn, I get my magic back and I get out of here. One catch: Artemis tells her that he's to stay in, that she's to stay in the house as long as long as um, he says so. Fairy rules dictate she has to listen. Ooh. It's called an eye. It's called an eye to eye. If 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 a mud person tells you to do something, you have got to do it. So like, show me to your pot of gold, all that shit from the old school fairy stuff. Oh. So th- they're setting up that fairy society's technology. But also there is like inbuilt rules and stuff that they can't break away from. This is just how it works. Root finds out that Holly's been taken. Uh, he goes to like this this whaler off the coast of Ireland with her tracer on it and finds a video message from Artemis there giving the coordinates for the house and a bomb that blows up just in time. For, he just about, just about escapes from it. So fairies can only exist in the daylight, uh, in the sun, in the moonlight. Like they can only be on Earth during nighttime. So they arrive at the house with a couple of hours till dawn and to make sure that things are in their favour and give them more negotiating time, they put up Foul Manor under the time field. The time field is a big fucking bubble. Um, originally, it was created by warlocks uh, hundreds of years ago. The warlocks used to do it. Um, uh, but they eventually realised that warlocks bicker and are kind of annoying. So Foley developed some technology where the warlocks can just do the ritual 
to the technology and then they can as long as they top it up monthly they can create a time field whenever they want using his gadgets um so they create a time field it's one of two ancient weapons that the fairies have we'll get to the other one oh this means that time outside the house is moving a shitload slower everything in the house has now got extended time so the two hours till dawn is now about eight hours till dawn Root goes in to negotiate with Artemis, and he's like, right, what do you want? And Artemis is like, dead freaking simple. I want this amount of gold. I want it in single ingots, 24 carat, and then you can have Commander Short, uh, uh, Lieutenant Short. And he's like, why should we believe you? And he's like, I have no other reason to lie. Like, look what I've been able to do with knowledge of your people. That's all I want. Yes. Dead simple. And he's like, you do realize that if you get away with this, you're going to, like, you even having that gold exposes our existence to the world. And Artemis is like, you just have to trust me that I'm not going to spread the word. But I will, if you don't do what I say. And he's, he's like, as long as I'm alive, come, uh, Lieutenant Short cannot be taken out of this house, unless I say so. And as soon as Root leaves, they get their psychoanalysts who've been listening in to like, the, the wire he's wearing and stuff. Yeah, Character yeah. profile people to look into it, and they're like, oh, he slipped up, he slipped up. Like, why? It's like, yes, Commander Short can't leave the house, but... Uh, they are, and, and no, none of you can now enter. He says, none of you can enter uh, after this negotiation. But he said, as long as I'm alive. Technically, that's instruction. He gave us an instruction. And Root's like, right. So we kill the 12-year-old boy. Easy. We kill the 12-year-old boy and we can get our person, we can get our lieutenant out of there. And we don't have to give him shit. Because the agreement is bond. They have to give him the gold, unless he's dead. So the first thing they do is they send someone in to try and make it easy. They take a recent convict called Mulch Diggums, who is a dwarf. And have him infiltrate the house just to get some information. Mulch Diggums is a short, hairy motherfucker <laughs> who's an ex expert lockpicker because his beard hairs become solid the moment they're plucked out of his chin. So he can he can like pluck out two hairs and then use them to pick locks. And there's a trick in this where he, it's a particularly nifty lock on a safe. So what he does is he manages to worm the hair into it and then yank it out at the base. And of course it forms in the shape of the lock. So he turns the key. Uh, dwarves are also expert tunnelers. The way they do this is they unhinge their jaws and plough through it like a goddamn Mario minion. Um, but of course, all that rubble has to go somewhere. They have a rapid digestion system. So when a dwarf is tunnelling, he unbuttons the back of his pants. He unhinges his jaw and starts chewing like a motherfucker immediately digesting all the nutrients and just raw clay is shat out of his back end. I'm not going to lie, I have <laughs> seen some stuff on Twitter referencing this <laughs> and yikes. Yeah, so, so, but in the book it's fucking hilarious because once he gets up there there's a lot of digestion he's done where it's like mm. it's, it's playing havoc with him and while he's trying to get into this safe Butler sneaks up on him without him realising and he has to let out this gastric build up. So Butler basically gets hit by a mound of shit and knocked into the wall. Kids book. I'm reiterating it. It's a kids book. It's great. The yeah. way Owen Colford, the way Owen Colford describes the biology of everything is really funny. It's like, good God, this is a great idea. Um, uh, Mulch makes his way into the house. He finds a safe and he finds that there's depleted funds in there. Seems like Artemis Fowl's trying to replenish the wealth of the family. Mm. That's interesting. I thought they were rich as shit. Okay, fair enough. Maybe that's why they want the gold. Hang on, there's another safe in here. There's another safe in this safe, a small a one. safe within a safe. Really tough, but he manages to crack it, and inside he finds the book, which he reports back because he's on comms with, with contacts in, like camera feed, yeah. to Foley. He reports back and he's like, 
So this is how he's found out about you. He's he's got hold of the book. Like someone's relinquished what relinquished one, and he's learned everything. And they're like, oh shit, he probably knows everything we could do. Then, holy fuck! Uh, during this time as well, Butler takes out an infiltration squad of uh, twelve of their elite, uh, like black ops soldiers, um, non lethally, but like really hurts them. <laughs> like really fucking hurts them, and sends one back. And uh, there's a guy called uh, Kudjan, who is someone who grew up in law enforcement with Root, who's now got some more political affiliations. He's there on behalf of like the council, mm. and he's like, he's like, just get in there and kill the kid. And Root's like, it's not as simple as that. He's like, we could kill Commander, we could kill Lieutenant Short if you do that. And he says, she's collateral damage. Like, just deal with it. This is the exposing of our people. If she dies, so be it. And Root's like, it's not fucking happening. All right, is it? Root's an arsehole, but he's an arsehole with a heart of gold. He's like, it's not fucking happening. We're going to make it work. Uh, eventually, after Mulch gets out and dies in a cave-in, apparently he puts his camera lens on uh, in the eye of a rabbit in a dark tunnel uh, and then causes uh, a cave-in. So the vitals register as, as dead because he basically uh, lets a rabbit die in his place. And he sneaks away with some of the gold later at the end of the story. Oh, um, I get it. Don't yeah. Be hasty. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, he buggers off with his freedom. Yeah, okay, um, okay, 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 okay. Kudjan takes over the operation. Now, Holly's Holly's just managed to break out during this time, and she's managed to catch Juliet off guard mm. and hit her with the mesmer. And is basically like, oh, you're going to stay... You love wrestling, don't you? Well, look, look, all the, all the wrestling's on that TV there. Is it? Yeah, just watch it. I'm just going to go upstairs. I'll come back soon. Don't worry. And she's like, okay, cool. And Juliet sits there staring at a blank wall thinking she's watching WWF. Um... As it was then, um, it's great. Uh, so Holly goes and starts. Side yeah. note: WWE I... Network does now have a free tier. So I mm. have been watching the greatest matches of Macho Man Randy Savage for free. But just be aware Ooh, that if you're doing yeah. it with the WWE, uh, Vince McMahon is a fucking piece of shit who uh, he is deals with the Saudis who regularly violate human rights treaties, but. There we go. You just got to know that going in. Okay, next. Vince McMahon's like the Artemis Fowl of Vince McMahon's. He's a fucking piece of shit, that guy. And um, so, so yeah, like Holly's slowly getting all of her gear together and figuring out what's going on. By this point, she's become aware that there's a woman in the attic who Artemis is like trying to keep a secret from her. Like keep secret from her, knowing that she exists. So Angeline mm. Fowl is is now known to Holly. Um. Kudjan takes hold of the operation, takes it off of Root, and decides we just need to kill them. And even if even if Short dies, she dies. So he has the squad bring in the recently imprisoned troll, which is pissed off and, you know, like suffering from injuries, and they unleash it on the house. Butler manages to shield the Mesmer Juliet behind a like a tapestry. And trying to defend her, the troll stabs him up, guts him, and throws him into a wall so hard that his neck breaks and his head twists all the way around and he dies. Or nearly dies. Clinging to life, Holly manages to get into the lobby just in time as the troll's like slowly advancing on Juliet, naturally confused as to why she's just sat there talking about wrestling and thinking this is hilarious and not running away from it. She manages to get over to Butler and she uses all the magic she now has in her system because she's managed to bury the acorn to heal him. Uh, Butler's healed, sees his baby sister in danger, grabs a suit of armor, whacks some pieces of it on, and uses a mace and then just his fists to beat the piss out of a troll. 
in the best penultimate chapter of a kid's book I have ever read. Oh, God, Chris, like, they should make this into a film. We'll get there. Uh, so he pulls the... He, he, he's, got his, he's got his Sig Sauer. Troll's skulls are quite thick, you see, so ten shots right between its eyes don't kill it, but it disorients it enough that he starts smacking its feet with the mace. And then once he slices open its Achilles heels, its Achilles tendons... He just pummels it with gauntlets until it's bleeding. Eventually, Holly chips in. And he's like, right, stop. Stop. Like, it's defeated. Leave it alone. Stop. And Butler's <laughs> like, right, you healed me. Fine. Okay. And he lets the troll live, but he, he takes it to the front garden, like, throws it out. He's like, fuck this thing. Okay. <laughs> like, off it goes. Okay. So at this point, I've got, like, Foley's been recording this entire thing on hidden cameras as well. And he's like, Oh my god, they talk about how it becomes the most pirated video for the next decade in fairy training facilities. Because people just keep stealing the files and sharing it to each other, going like, holy shit, have you seen this video of the mud person beating a troll? (laughs) It's like, what a great idea. Um, So Root is like, right, well, the only option we have left is the biobomb. The biobomb's the second most powerful fairy weapon. It does what it says on the tin. It's a bomb that wipes out all living tissue in an area. They could detonate nice. it within foul manner, which would, of course, kill, as far as they know, all the occupants. They're unaware of Angeline, mm. but it would kill It would kill Artemis, it would kill Butler, it would kill Juliet, who, I remind you, is just a 17-year-old girl who works for Artemis, and it would kill uh, Holly. Also, Artemis Root doesn't want... is only 12, so... I'm, Artemis is only 12, yeah, but, but I mean, like, he's the, he's the evil villain of the book, like... You know, Juliet just happens to work for him because it's her family's yeah, job. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's a cheeky bugger, but she's not a villain. No. And Butler again, deadly, terrifying. Not the villain is just doing what he's meant to do to protect the twelve-year-old fowl. Mm. So mm. Artemis has seen to it that his mother is fast asleep. The gold is sent in on like a hover tray, on this this hovering thing. They check it for explosives, and it's all good. And he's like, right. And he turns to... He just has this last minute thought and he turns to Holly and he goes, right, I want you to help me. And she's like, well, I'm not going to fucking help you. And he's like, if they let off the bio bomb, they're not just going to kill the four of us. And Holly realises what he's on about. Mm. Angeline's upstairs. So he has a quiet word with her. He says, how much would it take to buy a wish? Because again, certain old school fairy things do exist. Uh, so... Bit negotiating. Uh, Holly is allowed to leave on Artemis's word, and she takes out with her half of the gold on the trolley. And they're like, okay. "What the fuck?" Okay. And she went, I've, "I've been allowed to bring this back out." And they're like, "Right, um, release the bio weapon. Like, release the bio bomb. Kill him. Like, she's out of the house. Kill him." Artemis goes to the kitchen, and he's pre-poured three flutes of champagne he's like i know i'm only 12 but i'm sure my mother wouldn't mind we have a cause to celebrate we have at least uh i think it's like we have at least 20 million uh us dollars worth of gold like this can start up what we need to do to start the operations for the family again this would be great cheers and butler's like this is suspicious and he's like yep drink up so the three of them drink up and they all fall unconscious immediately to the kitchen floor the bioweapon is set off and Holly and the team put on their radiation suits to go in and retrieve the rest of the gold. Because with Artemis dead, the bond is broken. They can get the rest of the gold out. And Holly, if she hadn't already, could leave. As soon as they all set foot over the precipice of the house, everyone but Holly begins to violently vomit and turn, go, turn out in rashes under their bio suits. Ah. They can't enter the house. 
He's alive. Oh, How no. the hell is he alive? Like, there are dead birds and spiders everywhere. The biobomb worked. He's alive. Holly goes down to the um, the basement and they've stored the gold that they're keeping there. And obviously she can't move it. None of them can move it because he's alive. The agreement stands. It's his. So she's like, right, we just have to cut mm. our losses and go. But he, he pulled it off. He pulled off the heist. Uh, and she, she makes a mental note of like the next time she's like, you know what? I kind of admire the, the balls on this kid. Like I hate him, but I admire the balls on him. He's not all bad, as well. She knows about the wish that he made. But the next time I see him, it's going to be down the barrel of a gun, and it'll last. The conversation will last about five seconds. Is basically what she says. It's like, great. And the narration makes hint that this is only the first time he's going to try and do shit to the fairy people. Okay. And play with their. Okay. We then go to the the kitchen. Butler wakes up, holds Artemis against the wall, and is like, "The fuck did you do? like? You could have killed me and and my baby sister. What is wrong with you?" And Artemis is like, "Whoa." Remember your job, mate. He's like, you could have killed my sister. And Artemis is like, all right, fair point. Um, I'll explain myself. I found a way around the biobomb. The biobomb. I wasn't bluffing when I said that. But I didn't know if it would work exactly. It was based on a theory. Oh. But it was like, the fuck are you talking about? It's like, fairy magic has like very specific properties. Certain deals mean that they have to be met. Our gold is still in the basement. They can't take it out because I'm alive. It's ours. They can go and hold it, touch it, move it if they can get near it without vomiting, but they can't move. They can't take it out of the house. Mm. Based on that, I went and looked back at another fairy thing in the texts. Do you know how we survived? Butler goes, no. And he basically goes, Santa Claus. Butler goes, the fuck you saying, boy? <laughs> so Armas explains. I know, I know. I was a tad sceptical myself, but apparently our little corporate image Santa is not descended from a Turkish saint. He is a shadow of San de Klas, the third king of the Fronde Elfin dynasty. He is known as San the Deluded. Not a great title as titles go, says Butler. Admittedly. D-Class thought that the greed of the mud people in his kingdom could be assuaged by distributing lavish gifts. He would marshal all the great wizards once a year and have them throw up a great time. Have them throw up a great time over vast regions. Flocks <laughs> of sprites would be sent out to deliver the presents while the humans were asleep. Of course, it didn't work. Human greed can never be assuaged, especially not by gifts. But the frown. What if the humans, we that is, what if we had woken up? Ah, yes, excellent question. The heart of the matter. We wouldn't wake up. That is the nature of the time stop. Whatever your state of consciousness going in, that's how you stay. You can either wake up or fall asleep. You must have noticed the fatigue in your bones these last few hours, yet your mind would not let you sleep. My theory was the only way to escape the time field was to simply fall asleep. Our own consciousness was all that kept us imprisoned. So basically, they were only affected by being in that the time field because they were conscious when they went into it. They fell asleep. They were defying what the time field like set out to do they'd broken out of the time field so when the biobomb was set off the biobomb was set off in a self-contained bubble before dawn ah. when they woke up when they woke up they woke up after dawn they were asleep after dawn ah. they couldn't be affected That's like santa cool. claus delivered presents because we were all asleep so we couldn't fucking feel any of the shit magic that was being used to get traveling around the world ah. it's like oh my god i've just remembered that this is a kid's book and also that's brilliant that is brilliant. So the book the book essentially ends with Mulch Diggum sneaking out, nicking some gold and buggering off to Europe. Yep. Um, Artemis now having the gold and the result of his wish being granted. His mother wakes up as well 
exits the attic bedroom dressed as her like as a good self, fluffy dressing gown and all that, and is like, "Oh my god, Artie, I'm sorry. I've been a bit out of sorts last few months, but we need to we need to keep going." She's like, "I can't, I can't let, I can't let the loss of your father get me down like this. Like our family's important. Anyway, why aren't you in school?" He's like, "Oh, it's." Uh, it's out of term time. She's like, oh, good. All right. Okay, so we're going to do this. The book basically ends with Artemis getting his mum back and him relishing the future challenges of continuing to be a criminal mastermind. It's all right. I picked the phone up now. It's all right. Of him continuing to be a criminal mastermind under his mum's nose. Yeah. Okay. So the book, cool. the, book end, the book ends with the fairy people being like, that little shit. Well, we'll hopefully we'll never hear from him again. And Holly being like, I hope we do. I want to shoot him. And Artemis being like, well, I'm going to keep being a criminal mastermind. I'm just going to have to do it under my mum's nose. This okay. is going to be fun. And that's the end of the book. It's great. It's a book where the main character is actually Holly Short and the title character is the villain. Brilliant. It's brill. It's it's violent and hilarious. And it's got a dwarf that hinges his jaw and fires poop. I'm going to keep this as brief as possible, but I've just told you that story, right? Before you, you tell me about the film, yeah, <laughs> let me go to the bathroom and I'll put in a uh, ninja edit. So, you've told this me morning. about Artemis Fowl, the book. Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about Don't Artemis Fowl, the, te- the, the, the video film. This has been in production hell for years. The rights to Artemis Fowl were snapped up around the same time as every other young adult novel in the early 2000s was in a desperate bid by every studio to make their own Harry Potter and outrank Warner Brothers in financial success. Yeah, I can see how that would be a hot property. Yeah, and and like having now heard the story, condensed as it was into like 20-odd minutes, what did you think of the story of Artemis Fowl? Sounds pretty cool. I think I might try and pick that up and give it a read at some point. It's it's worth it's worth a read. The stuff I've purposefully missed out and the prose is is the main draw. It's it's so well put together. It's got such a nice cheeky sense of humor. It's it's effortlessly cool in terms of how it deals with action and and like tech and weaponry and things like that. Like it it, it revels in in explaining this stuff in a way that makes you go, "Oh, that sounds that sounds amazing." Um there's a whole series too. I, I I read the first four. I own the first two, and I read the first four. Uh, so I've got the uh, the uh, Arctic Incident, which is the second one. Um, the oh, what's the third one? The Eternity Code is the third one, and the Opal Deception is the fourth one. Ooh, uh, I the love Opal, an Opal Deception. Well, the Opal Deception features uh, a secondary antagonist from the second book called Opal, who um, becomes like the main villain of book four because of course as you can imagine as the books go on artemis uh and the the leprechaun uh cross over again and as the stories continue artemis becomes a bit more redemptive as time goes by yeah he's never the good guy but like the cracks in his villain facade start to appear as he remembers that family's really what he's been missing this whole time, mm. and also like begins to understand other people's perspectives, um, so he's he goes from being the villain to uh, the reluctant team up villain to the antihero as the series goes on. The main character of the series is undoubtedly Holly Short. Like she's the main character of the series. Um, 
so there's a lot of material to draw from, but the first film, the first book works super well as just a film. Like you could mm. see that as a film, right? It's just, it's a house under siege, die hard with, with tech and magic, basically. Like, you know, preamble, and then it's all set in the house on this horrible, fateful, eventful night where everything goes to shit. Yeah, that sounds like it's pretty much up my alley. If that had come out when I was a little younger, I think that's the kind of thing I would have read as a kid. But I think I was yeah. just a little too old for it when it came out. Oh, yeah. I, I thought, I, 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 thought um, I was a little too old for it because you know what you like yeah. when you're supposed to be teenage. You're like, I'm into real shit, not this kid shit. It's like, yeah, this kid's book where a when butler that... like, shoots shoots a troll between the eyes with a Sig Sauer. Exactly. When, when, did that, <laughs> when did that first book come out? Uh, 2001. I've got the paperback from 2002. Yeah, so, it's, so I would have uh, only been 13. 13, no. yeah. Yeah, 14? I'd, have been, I'd have been 13. So I've been at that age where I'm like, oh, this is cool shit now. I'm not reading kid stuff. And then I got into Harry Potter like a year later, so, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Uh, I read it in two thousand two, so I was uh, eleven when it came out, and it was it was right up my alley. Mm. Um, the film's been in development hell for years, but as recently as a few years ago, and we talked about this in the podcast before. Go back and listen to our trailer talk about it for the full details. But Disney got the rights a while back, and the film adaptation was scheduled for last year, last summer. Then last year, the film adaptation was put back for some reason. We finally got a full trailer. Toward the end of last year. Oh. And then the film was meant to come out early this summer. It was put back at the start of the lockdown, you know, the pandemic. And then Disney just went, ah, fuck it. It's coming to Disney Plus in June. So that's kind of a big get as far as the Disney Plus streaming service goes. Hey, one of our brand new movies in this unusual circumstance is just going to go straight to the service. Do you want to see it? If you've not already signed up, now's the time. Artemis Fowl and these five or six other things are brand new to the service this month. Come on down. Like, you know, good sales point. Like, I bet it's fine, an all-time sure. classic as well, Chris. Ha! Ha ha! Tell me, Don Miguel. Tell me of Artemis Fowl 2020, the Walt Disney motion <laughs> picture. Tw- 2020 to Disney Plus. Brackets 2019. <laughs> I think I know why it got a delay and I've got suspicions, but we'll learn in time. Is this it... is the single worst young adult novel adaptation I have ever seen. Whoa. And based on general consensus, based on general consensus, it's amongst like the likes of Spiderwick Chronicles, um, Ender's Game. Like it's it's in that same wheelhouse of missing the fucking point entirely. Wow. Um, our movie begins with uh, the police and press swarming outside outside a foul a foul manner, because apparently Artemis Fowl Senior, uh, who is in the books, is the name of Artemis's dad. He's Artemis Fowl the first, and Artemis is Artemis Fowl the second. Um, Artemis Fowl the first has returned, and the speculation of the crime that he's been involved in has he done this, that, and the other, la la la, as this uh, hairy, haggard-looking motherfucker is arrested and taken away from the house. On an MI6 oil rig, like an oil rig that they're obviously using for interrogations and and storage or whatever, this man is interrogated in uh, 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 a room alone with a camera facing him and someone talking over the monitors interrogating him. This man is called Mulch Diggums. He's a known criminal um, with a suspect history of disappearing from uh, investigation quite often. Uh, he's played by Josh Gad, and Mulch Diggums begins to tell you the story of, oh, it's not Artemis Fowl, the man you're after. It's Artemis Fowl, the boy. 
and thus begins the hour and 36 minute narrated by Mulch Diggums for some reason story of Artemis Fowl. Artemis loves Ireland. He goes surfing. He's a happy boy. But his things are a little bit odd. Since his mother's death, he's been acting out at school. So, Angeline's gone. Um, his father, Artemis Fowl Sr., is a noted millionaire uh, who apparently is a big historian and is alleged to be involved in several high-profile uh, crimes around the world, but no one's been able to prove that he's been involved in them. Ever since he was a boy, Artemis Fowl Sr. has taught Artemis about the world of fairies. He's got a fascination with the stories of the little people, of leprechauns and fairy folk, and he quizzes Artemis on it all the time. Artemis has grown up hearing all these stories. One day, Artemis Fowl Sr. goes off on one of his routine missions that he never tells Artie about properly. And Artie's quite... I'm going to call him Artie because it differentiates the two. It's easier to describe. Um, Artie's upset. He's like, take me with you. And he's like, I want... I just want a father. And he's like, look, it's dangerous. I'll... I'll uh, the helicopter's preparing for me now. Like, I'll be back soon. Butler will take care of you. Butler, who, by the way, is called Dom. His name is like Domitrovich or something. Butler, as it is in the book. But he doesn't like being called Butler. So throughout the film, no one calls him Butler. Everyone calls him Dom. Um, but his name is Butler? Yeah, his name is Butler, but he's called Dom, because don't call him Butler. They never make a thing of this in the film at any point. At no point is there a moment where a character says, so you're the Butler, and he's like, the name's Dom. Like, they never do that. It's just in the opening narration about him. Um, everyone calls him Dom throughout the film. Dom works for Artemis Fowl. He's part of a long line of Butlers who've looked after the Fowl household. Uh, with his niece, Juliet who is also 12, like Artemis, and whose main job is pretty much just making sandwiches for people. Um, oh, so she's the subway employee. Pretty much. Uh, Juliet. Artemis. Juliet, the only J-starting name for Subway that we're going to allow uh, as a Subway representative. So Juliet makes sandwiches, bottled <laughs> after Artemis. There is no Angeline Fowl. And Artemis uh, is worried about his dad. His dad goes missing and there's a hostage phone call where this ominous voice and this hooded figure who we see holding his dad hostage in this like... Uh, it's like the villain from uh, Big Hero 6. It's like these nanites kind of things holding him in place. Uh, the dad's played by Colin Farrell, by the way, which is part of my theory as to why the story goes in certain directions, but we'll, we'll get there. Mm. This This ominous villain... She says uh, over the thing, it's like, I have your father, you must bring the, and I've forgotten the name of it, but it's because I'm drunk and I can't be asked looking it up. Uh, you must bring the, I think it's like the the Ocule or something like that. It's like Oculus or whatever. It's like the Ocule. Ocula. Something to do with eyes. No, no, yeah. You must bring the Ocular to me and you will get to see the return of your father. Your yeah. father's kept it from me. And Arps is like, the fuck? And Butler's like, oh, I hope this day would never come. As he takes Artemis below the house to a secret room where his dad has been studying the little people for decades. In fact, the family have been studying them all for centuries. Apparently, his dad is not a criminal. He's been liberating dangerous fairy artifacts from human hands so that they don't end up being used against humanity. And the ocular is the most like powerful one of them all. It's a mysterious weapon. That's all we ever fucking learn about it. So... Good. I have to, uh, Artemis. I have to. You have to find your dad's journal. They find it, right? So now it's giving us some information about this. Yeah, great. Thanks, voice thing. <laughs> uh, your dad's information about it. Uh, meanwhile, 
Lieutenant Holly Short is having a bit of a Barney. She's been sent to on the troll operation by Commander Root, played by Judy Dench. Holly Short is played by a young actor who is quite possibly she's the most interesting actor in the whole film. She's the most compelling performer. She's very good, okay. but she's also a, she's also a child actor. So she's child proportions because she's a child actor. So I can mm. only imagine that was a bu- that was a budget reason, or they were like kids will relate to her if she's a kid. She's also white. Um, Holly Short isn't white in the books. Now that's not too much of a problem. Butler's skin or ethnicity is never described in the books, and in the the film he is played by a black gentleman, and he plays the role perfectly well. Of course, that wouldn't matter, like what ethnicity yeah. the actor is. I can't to remember play the, the part. name, but he was in Game but of it Thrones, is... and he's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, he's an immense he's... looking motherfucker. He's cool. He's really underutilized in this. Oh, um, shocking! Yeah, but it's weird that you take Holly, who would normally be the protagonist, and in a sea of white protagonist cinema, especially notoriously uh, live-action Disney cinema, it's weird that you would cast against a black protagonist by casting a white actor, even if she's the best for the job, but then also minimise the character's role so that she's not the protagonist of the story anymore. Mm. It's just an odd series of events. But, that being said, as a performance, she's very good. Um, uh, She... Uh, does some or other I can't remember I can't remember if she does it's not the ritual oh that's it her father has gone missing as well apparently he was looking to secure the ocular from the evil villain o- uh, evil villain Opal so they're introducing the Moriarty of the series in story one like every fucking adaptation does because they they can't wait oh we um, got a franchise on our hands lads yeah so Opal's the hooded figure who we never get to see properly, nor does she ever play an active role in the story aside from a couple of scenes with Artemis Fowl Senior. Um, but whatevs. So um, uh, Opal killed Holly Short's father. Uh, so she and Artemis have something in common. Their fathers were taken from them by Opal. Uh, we later learn that her father and Artemis Senior were working together to find the ocular to protect mankind and fairy kind. So she goes looking. She goes looking for evidence, and she finds like a name tag of her father's in the fucking forest or some shit. And after the troll incident, which again happens almost verbatim, but they use a mini. They call Mm. it. um, They call it a. a, a, They don't call it the time field. They call it something else, like a time a time bubble or something. Uh, They use one of those in reverse on the troll attack. Temporal polyp. Yeah, they, they hit they hit the Italian uh, party with the time thing, but it freezes time inside, apart from Holly, though. So they can go in, mem- like, uh, erase everyone's memory and take the troll out. Mm. So it's like, okay, I get it, it's a film, you're sort of introducing the shorthand concept of them using time as a pocket, fine, whatever, sure. Uh, Holly's kidnapped by Artemis and Butler. She wakes up in a really basic-ass cage in the kitchens. Um... She tries the Mesmer, but obviously it doesn't work because they've got mirrored sunglasses. They don't fully explain exactly what that is. You just see it and you're like, okay. Had I not read the book, I wouldn't know what the fuck she's trying to do here. Um, and Artemis is like, it's dead simple. I've got you and your people know we've got you and they're going to get here and they're going to help me find the ocular. Mm. And Ollie's like, okay. What? Artemis has spent the entirety of the first and um, some of the second act in jeans and a t-shirt. He's also not particularly sinister. I can't remember the actor's name. This is this kid's first film. 
Maybe it's the direction, maybe it's the script. This is not a good debut for this actor. And I don't mean like, oh, it's bad being a part of this film's first film. I mean, he is really not strong in this at all. Um, Boo. Artemis is played as a sympathetic lead who just wants to save his dad. Um, so uses his father's knowledge to set up this essentially hostage situation so he can get the elves, the, the fairies' attention. Like, that's why he's doing it. There's a definite Disney house style of like... Oh, we gotta redeem our dads. Kill the mums, redeem the dads. Maybe I've it's just, Disney. Maybe I've just watched Saving Mr. Banks too many times. Yeah, yeah. Um, good film. So though. they all arrive. They all arrive in broad daylight. The sea happens on the house in broad daylight. You know that sure. thing that kills fa- that thing that kills the fairies. They sure. all arrive in broad daylight. And they put a time bubble around the house. Artemis and Butler disable it with a gunshot very early on. Because it's just like a network of floating things creating a bubble. I love it. You when know that thing that that thing that's inescapable. Understanding of the source material adapts story. Yep, Foley is in it. He's nowhere near as interesting as he is in the book. It's not the actor's fault. He's really enthusiastic and quite entertaining, but it's just not the character from the books. Um, Umosi spends the film going, "How do they do that? Oh no!" And it's like, "Oh, okay. Where's his wild conspiracy theories? Where's his like?" Um, beatnik phonetical delivery of the book that kind of makes you think that he's a bit like whoa okay calm down man right it's like this is a much less interesting take on this character root is played by judy dench so the sexism angle of holly short on the force isn't there in fact the let recon is full of male and female officers Hmm. um so she's not hard on holly for any particular reason except that her dad used to be a really good soldier it's like okay um Also, in one of the early scenes, Opal releases Kudjan, who in this has already been arrested for something, and says, like, I've had a word with my mole on the council. They're going to give you a position within the Let Recon to assess them on the council's behalf. Don't fail. You spy or you die, she says. Um, Just before that, we see Holly going to the Let Recon for work. The next scene is Holly arriving at the Let Recon for work and Kudjan is also there cleaned up wearing a uniform. So the editing is fucking terrible. Um, all the while this is being narrated to this is being narrated to us in an expository way by Mulch Diggums, who is not in most of these scenes. Um, it's so stupid. It uh, sounds stupid, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But hey, Root when neg- I get Root to neg- mine, we're gonna be all about stupid, so don't worry about yes, it. Yes, please. Root negotiates with Artemis. He says the while I'm alive line like in the conversation and she immediately goes like, oh, while you're alive, eh? Mm. So revealing. So it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. The reason that's such a fucking great moment is because she gets back to their reconnaissance thing outside and the behavioral experts are like, oh, wait, 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 he, he slipped up, he slipped up. Like her just saying it to him, it's like, oh, because of course then it naturally puts this movie Artemis on edge because he's not a villain. He's just an opportunistic kid who's trying to save his poor dad. Um, so, so, uh, Julius Root is played by Judy Dench. She can't decide whether her accent is gruff Cornish or gruff Irish. Why not both? Sure. <laughs> but it's like, If oh, I Judy. was Judy Dench, I'd be both gruff Cornish and gruff Irish. And if the director questioned me on it, I'd say, listen, listen, you fucking... Frog Spawn? I'm Judy motherfucking Dench. If I want to do Gruff Cornish, I'll do (laughs) Gruff Cornish. If I want to do 
gruff Irish, I'll do gruff Irish. I don't care if it's in the same fucking scene. I don't care if my uh, accent changes mid-word from syllable <laughs> to syllable. I'm Judy motherfucking Dench. Do you know who the Bitch. director is? Who's the director? Kenneth Branagh. Oh, yeah, she's definitely got him under her thumb. Like, yeah. Yeah, she's like, like, Kenny, oh, Judith, Kenny, Judith, please shut the fuck up. She's like, Kenny, shut up. I've not seen his entire oeuvre, but this is probably his worst film, hands down, without a doubt. It's I mean, to be, fair, to, to be fair to the man, he did make Thor work. Yeah, oh, he made Thor work really well. The juxtaposition of fantasy and technology in that, done really well. And I'm not going to lie, I do like Murder on the Orient Express. It's stylish. Yeah, and I'm kind of looking it's, forward It's a stylish looking movie. Um, I think he and his publicist are as well. Uh, so... <laughs> fuck me, so I need another swig. Um, Has so... Kenneth Branagh done anything awful that we should know about? Is, he, is, he, is there like secret stories of Kenneth Branagh being an abuser or anything like that? Not that we know of. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be very upset. That would suck. Um, But it's just, God, it's. So they send in Mulch Diggums again, like with reduction on his sentences, the promise. And they send him in, and this is where Josh Gad finally unhinges his jaw. He unhinges his jaw, unders his butt flap, and shits out clay. Matt, they don't focus on the butt flap at all. Oh, but it does happen, right? They don't. They don't describe how it works. They just say that dwarves are good tunnelers and thieves. Cool. So he, he, you see him unhinge his jaw. It's a really gross effect, but it's kind of meant to be like in the book. It's gross. It's meant to be like, oh, that's weird. Then there's a very. He immediately starts to tunnel under the beach to go toward the house because the the manor in this is on a cliffside, and you just very briefly see a white flap open on the back of his pants. And, and a mud, like uh, like a mud clay kind of explosion. They don't do anything with it. It's a kid's film starring Josh Gad made for Disney and they don't make anything of the fact that dwarves fart and shit clay. They don't make anything of it. It's really weird. It's like, that. that is the sort of batshit mental thing that makes this book something kids remember. Listen, and you're not going to do anything with it? If I could fart what? and shit clay, I would be farting and shitting clay all day long <laughs> Selling that to brickmakers, be making a pretty fucking penny. I'll tell you what, but no. <laughs> Artemis goes to talk to Holly and is like, "I think they're going to try and kill me for your freedom. I just want the ocular." And Holly's like, "Do you trust me?" And Artemis is like, "Yes." And he takes his glasses off to prove that he's, you know, like, let's have a proper conversation. Mm. And she's like, "Right." Come on then, like we'll work together. Like my father was trying to find the ocular when he was killed and keep it out of bad man's hands. And Arms is like, maybe that's what my dad was doing as well. Mulch gets into a safe in the house. Inside the safe, he finds the ocular. Uh, oh yeah! Instead of doing that really cool thing where he just like plucks the hair out of his chin and it goes stiff and he can pick locks, he's like, oh, this this brand of safe has evolved. Well, guess what, pal? So have I. And his beard goes all Medusa tenderly and starts to weave into the locks and it just looks stupid. Um, Sounds stupid. It looks really stupid. Um, like, over over complicating a really simple, cool visual idea. Um, 
He, it's oh, it's the ocular. Butler arrives and he's like, right, what are we doing? Oh yeah, oh Butler and Artemis fight off the SEAL team that arrive together. You know, in the book that Artemis is the schemer and Butler's the muscle. In this, they both grab fairy weapons and start shooting at fairies, which I'm is shocked. really bad because a lot of the fairy actors are child actors or adult actors proportioned to child proportions so that they match how Holly Short looks in this. Um, so there's a scene where basically Butler and Artemis are shooting and throwing the shit out of a bunch of children. It's like, what is this? Um, they all realise that they've got the, the ocular and they're like, right, okay, so we need to find out why our fathers wanted this. And Holly's like, well, it's because it's the most dangerous weapon ever. And then we find out what it does, but we never see it. Apparently it opens rifts to other worlds. And you're like, right? Is that a thing? Is that a fucking Listen, thing? A I've fucking played thing? Bioshock Infinite. I know how this works. I wish I'd spent the two hours playing Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite's oh pretty fucking good, man. Oh my god. If you should ever leave me. Fucking um, love those, like, steampunk versions of pop songs. I love it. And you're like, this is weird that they're doing this anachronistic music thing. I don't understand it. And then, shut up, voice thing. And then later in the game, you're like, oh, it's because time leaks are all part of the story as well. Oh, oh that's brilliant. Yes, 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 um, yes, 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 yes. So that's when Kudjan takes over and he's like, I've had a word with the thingies. You're done, Root. We're going to send in the troll. So they send in the troll. Send and what follows is a really a shit action troll. sequence. Hmm. What's, uh, what follows is a really shit action sequence. Because Juliet isn't there, really. Um, Check, yes, but Juliet. Butler doesn't, but at no point does Butler use a human weapon, a man-made weapon. Okay. Um, at no point does he even, Doesn't have it. At no point does he tussle with the troll, really. Um, it's one of those sort of sequences where the four of them are just running away from the troll and leaping over things and swinging off things. And, oh, calamity! Ah! And the troll falls off the chandelier and it's about to land on Artemis and Butler pushes Artemis out of the way and gets crushed by the troll. So they bring Butler over to the bench. and they Sorry, they bring Dom over to the bench and they sit him down and he gives a big emotional music in the background like goodbye and he dies. Now, in the film, the Leprechaun disable Holly Short's magic. There's no acorn ritual. There's no, like, replenishment she needs. They just turn off her magic so that they can keep a monitor on the situation. And you see this thing on her wrist gauntlet go, and power down. Mm. They return it to her at this moment by sheer coincidence. Mm. And she brings Butler back to life. Not heals him. What? Brings him back to fucking life. What? Actual what? Yeah. Look at my Turns face. Turns out... Look at my face. My face is saying, what? I know you can't see this because it's an audio medium, but my face is saying, <laughs> what? That's the emotional finale of the film. What? They realise that the ocular, Artemis's dad and her late father were teamed up trying to keep it away from Opal. Because it was originally in fairy custody and Opal was going to get it. So they took it and hid it. Okay. The the time bubble that they break earlier on finally implodes in on itself. And thus begins our final visual action sequence of, the, of all of them getting out of the house as time's collapsing around them. Cue a shit version of the Guardians of the Galaxy, Yondu, Rocket and Groot leaping through time stuff. Um, mm. Oh, by the way, just before they first confront the fairies, Artemis is like, bring me the suit. And we get a big dramatic reveal of a suit in a wardrobe. 
And then he's just in a suit for the rest of the film. Cool. What does the suit yeah. do? Doesn't do anything. In the books, he's described as always wearing tailored suits, but that's because he's fucking Lex Luthor. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's his bag. So he says, in bring this, me the suit. Dramatic reveals on the and suit, and then doesn't yeah. do anything with the suit. Yeah. Because you know that bit where we all first saw Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and it was like, it's a Nimbus 2000 as he unwraps it at the table. And anyone who read the book is like, oh, this is going to be great. Everyone who doesn't know this story is in for a treat because this broom's going to lead some really cool stuff. Yeah. They're hoping that the fact he's about to wear a suit, like the character does all the time in the books, is the thing that's going to make Artemis Fowl fans go, oh, shit. Christopher, I have something to say. What's that? Thanks. I hate it. Yep. Yep. Good fucking God. Yep. I get through. Watch this shit, aren't I? Mm, no, nope. read the book. Watch this read the book and then watch it. Read the book, then watch it. Or go on Audible, find the audio book. The the, the guy who reads it is fucking wonderful. Who reads I've it? Heard, that was a, I can't remember. But tell he, he me the nice, name. He does a nice variety of accents for all of the characters in a way that makes it really right pleasing. Now. Um, but so that happens, and Kudjan is found out to have been working with Opal, so he's arrested, and uh, that's it. Artemis hands it over to Holly, who's going to look after it, because last second, they Holly uses the power of the um, of the the ocular at the very last minute to summon Artemis Fowl Senior from wherever he's been te- from wherever he's been been kidnapped. It's narrated by Jerry O'Brien, by the way. There you go. Coincidentally, at this moment, Opal's like, "I'm done with you," and the like nanobite shit starts to cover him and suffocate him. So it's like, by sheer coincidence, she's about to kill Artemis Fowl Sr. And then mm. they teleport him to the house. And he's home! And yay! Um, so Holly goes back to the LEP. Oh, it's triumphant. We found we found the ocular. And she returns it to the LEP. You know, that thing her father died doing the opposite of. Mm. Because it wasn't safe with the le- recon. Also, if she can bring people back from the dead with her fucking magic, maybe she should find her dad and bring him back from the fucking dead. I mean, that would that would be a priority, I imagine. If you can, br- if you can use magic to bring people back from the dead, and you've got dead parents, I would bring those fucking dead parents back. Hmm. But if, no, she brings back Butler. If, if I had, if I had raised from the dead Lazarus fucking magic, and my parents died, you know what the first thing I would do is I'd bring my fucking parents back and be like, hey. You died, but you're here now. Ha ha ha, buy me whiskey. You know well, what I mean? Speaking of, I think you've had enough. Well, speaking of here now, Artemis' big arc is resolved. He thought his dad was a criminal who neglected him. But really, his dad is a freaking hero. And now that he's saved his dad, his dad's like, right, come with me. Like, we're going we're gonna to carry this on. They hire Mulch. Sure. And... Because Josh Gad you, is a... Bankable actor, apparently. Yeah, you see, you he see. Isn't. I like him, but he isn't. <laughs> he's all right. He's he's good, but he's he's in a lot of shit stuff. Where hey, they basically give him the I've same shit to do. I've got nothing against Josh Gad. Like I'm all for chubby men in fucking theater and film. Like I'm, a, I'm yeah, I'm I'm but, there for it. But but it's about it's about to shit. become it's about to become a thing where he gets cast in all those roles. <laughs> hey, because I've they're because they're not looking. They're not looking for a round guy anymore. They're looking for Josh Gad. Listen, I tried to get in Book of Mormon. 
I was going to say, my agent tried to get in Book of Mormon, but then he got convicted for having children pictures. Um, <laughs> so, Angus you know, Hollywood, folks. <laughs> listen, I could have been in Book of Mormon. That's all I'm saying. I could have been Cunningham. But no, here I am. Beard, big pot belly, School of Rock musical. They don't want chubby guys. They want cool guys. Yeah, I've noticed that. They've started to lean that way, haven't they? And Beetlejuice is fucked, so that's the thing that's not going to be an opportunity anymore. But our hell musical, do they want meatloaf looking motherfuckers? No! Scrawny dudes. But Justin Bieber looking motherfuckers. Can I sing the shit out of every single power hell twice over? Yes, I can! (laughs) But no! When you were learning to spell your name, <laughs> I was being trained to conquer galaxies. Um, but it ends with Artemis sending a threat. Oh, Artemis and Artemis Senior rescue Mulch from MI6. The reason he's telling them everything is because he's letting MI6 know that this is happening. There's fuck all you can do to stop it. And they've sent me and told me to tell you everything to prove that we're real and that you need to stay out of their business, and then a helicopter smashes through the ceiling of the interrogation room, and Mulch is taken by Artemis and Artemis, and they fly away, and Butler's with them, and Holly's flying alongside the helicopter because she's also joined their crew because they're now going to go on a mission to stop Opal, who Artemis phones. They don't explain how he's got her fucking number, but he phones her. She's like, like, you regret this, foul. And he's like, no, he's like, we're coming for you. And it's like, who do you think you are? And fucking trailer shot, he goes, I'm Artemis Fowl, and I'm a criminal mastermind. And he puts the phone down, and everyone watching the film goes, but you're not. You're I not, though. I hate it, and I haven't even seen it. They, they, it's, I said before, it's like they got the right to adapt it but were asked politely to not use anything from it. It's so fucking terrible. Who wrote Some set script? design is nice. Uh, four people. So that's all you need to know. Um, Fucker doodle yeah. do. Yeah. Like, they add sequel bait. They add stuff from the villain from later in the series. It doesn't make mm. sense. They kill off the parent who actually is his one link to humanity in the books. Cool. Only to have the cool. other parent be in the book. Um... Just so you know, Artemis Fowl Sr. does reappear in the book series in two of them. Uh, once in, I think it's the Arctic Incident, he, he appears and you find out, oh yeah, not only is he still alive, there's a lot of them. I've, I've discovered. Yeah. There's a few Artemis Fowl books. I, looked up I, think the a, books. I think there's about I think there's about eight now, eight or nine. Well, let me look it up. Um, we've got, if you go on Audible and look for the audio books, you've got um, Artemis Fowl. The Arctic Incident, The Eternity Code, The Opal Deception, The Lost mm-hmm. Colony, The yeah. Time Paradox, The Atlantis yeah. Complex, The Last Guardian, and The Foul Twins. Yeah. So, plenty of stuff to take from, and yet the first book is arguably, it's a film on the page. It's a film in book form. Mm. It's It's for kids who like things a little bit more violent. Kids who like... Um, you know, fight scenes in their Listen, stuff. I first Kids read who... Stephen King's It when I was 13. I like a bit of violence on the page. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but exactly. And this is perfect for that. It's, Which it's again, to... will come into play when I do my bit next. 
Oh God, please! I want to get to yours because I'm so sick of talking about this fucking movie. So, so it's, it's 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 a kids' gate. It's a kids' gateway. Yeah. To action cinema by using fantasy tropes that were massive at the time. Yeah. And this 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 it doesn't predate Harry Potter, but it predates Harry Potter becoming a phenomenon in the way that it did. Like this book came out the same year the first Potter film came out. Yeah. So it wasn't chasing the dragon. Like it was already a thing. Owen Colfer hey, was writing this stuff. You I know? love chasing the dragon. You get me into a drug <laughs> den, give me a pipe, a bit of absinthe. I'll chase the dragon any fucking day. Oh fuck off, Google! Here are the top search results for absinthe. Um, I don't know which of my devices is doing this because nothing's coming up on my uh, nothing's coming up on my tablet. Nothing's coming up on my phone. I don't know what the fuck's going love. on. I would love if in this recording somehow that didn't leak into it and it was just in our headphones. <laughs> and everyone hearing this is like, who do they keep yelling at? Oh, fat chance of that. <laughs> I'll so, make it happen, mate. I'm doing the edit. I'll make it happen. I think what happened is they somehow got Colin Farrell later on. Yeah. So they added the dad still alive plot and Opal. Because he has mm. scenes with Artemis at the beginning. He has scenes with Artemis at the end. But nothing in the in the middle. In the middle, just some cutaways to him in the nanobot like mud shit with Opal, and she's only ever in those scenes apart from the one where she frees Kudjan. Does it sort it of would... smack of a film that is uh, very reshoot heavy? Um, put it this way, because it's on Disney Plus, it comes with extras, and like seven of those are deleted scenes. I watched a couple. One of which is an adaptation. Of the opening scene from the book. The Ho Chi Minh City stuff. Yeah, which of course in the book is great and sets the tone. I don't know where it would have fit in the film here. He's wearing a suit. Um they're after not the they're after her book. Mm. It's the because the book's never mentioned in the film at all. Although at one point, when using the ocular, Holly um says this ritual, which is just the opening three paragraphs of the book from the book of Artemis Fowl. Which, in context, don't make any sense in the scene at all. It's like, wait, the ritual is talking about keep me by your side always, never forget, all that. Like, what? What the fuck? It's like they just went, we need some magical words. Uh, there's that poem in there in the book about the book of fairies. Just use that. It's like, what? Um, but oh. he, goes to the old, he goes to the old woman to get her book from her. Yeah. Specifically so he can use the book to find more information on the ocular. So it obviously must be from somewhere in the middle of the film, or like the end of Act 1. Okay. It's nearly verbatim, but the kid is nowhere near sinister enough. And when her magic is replenished, like, because he does the holy water thing, and the visual effects are great. You see this woman just like shriveling. She goes all skeletal before I he gives the antidote. I love a shriveling woman, what can I say? Yeah, it's, 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 like, it's like proper kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Holy shit, that's a bit much kind of visual. Yeah. Yeah. But then... After she like her magic replenishes, she becomes this white fairy thing, which you may have seen in the. Do you remember the one shot in the, the full trailer where there's like this floating woman in white above Artemis mm. and Butler? That's from this deleted scene, and she goes, um, she goes like, "You don't know what you've unleashed. Like you don't know what you mess with." And then she does like a Ghostbusters librarian ghost kind of blah thing, and then she flies away. And then Artemis, and then Artemis, who has just used fairy lore to torture and manipulate a fairy into giving him a sacred artifact, mm. turns to Butler and goes, and in this, this is his read. He's like, they're real. They're real. 
Of course they're fucking real. You just tortured her with the holy water thing that will only work if she was a fairy. What? How do you start the scene being like, we're going to interrogate this fairy? And then the scene going, oh my god, fairies are real! You know what that sounds like to me? Mm-hmm. Sounds like some bullshit. Yeah, I think Colin Firth was... In, all of his stuff was inserted late. Yeah. Uh, I think the ocular was all... It was never going to be ransom for gold. It was always going to be a quest for the ocular. Maybe it was to find his dad. Because... Not amongst the deleted scenes, but confirmed to have been shot and deleted, are two scenes with Angeline Fowl. Hmm. One was a flashback done after the uh, Colin Farrell plot would have been added, and one was originally set during the film, so obviously before they decided Angeline was dead. Miranda Raisin was cast as Angeline Fowl and shot two scenes. So I think originally Miranda Raisin was alive. Artemis had suspicions his dad was out there somewhere and wanted this MacGuffin, which, by the way, doesn't exist in any of the books. The ocular doesn't exist in any of the books. It's a brand new creation. Um, they made a MacGuffin in a using a book series that is full of magical MacGuffins. They fucking make one. And then they never use it. They do that thing so many modern films do where they don't show you what the terrible weapon can do. To show you how serious the situation is. Mm. Do you know why we all fear the Infinity Gauntlet, motherfuckers? Because we've seen what three of yeah. those stones can do. And, and this guy wants to put we, this guy wants to put War, six of them to together. See what all of them did, and like half yeah. the fucking character just blinked out of existence. So you have a sense Fuck of the scale sideways. during that film, and then in Endgame, you're like, yeah, they definitely need to keep it away from him. Yeah. Like it's it's. This, they never show you what it... Oh, God. Matt, it's awful. It's fucking mm. terrible. And the the thing that upsets me the most about this is you know there's going to be a generation of kids now that won't go near that book. Yeah. Or parents that and won't that's let really the kid read the thing, book. Like, because it sounds like it's great fun. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm probably going to search out that book and have, a, and have a good read of it because it sounds like it's a good laugh. It's fucking great. It's it's a gateway to action flicks. Yeah. And, and this film is just a... It's a crap... It, it feels like Dark is Rising, Harry Potter clone sort of stuff from the 2000s. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It, 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 and again, that's not to insult the individual books, but what those books became was just this cut and paste. And the worst part is Owen, Owen Colfer's not really talked much about the film in the press because obviously it's not done it's the press tour it would have done. I would imagine not because I can't imagine he's that infused by it. But Kenneth Branagh has been doing a lot of press for it. And he's said that when someone asked him, so why Ar- Ar- Artemis is very much the protagonist in this movie? What what led to that decision? Hmm. Kenneth Branagh says that he and the execs didn't think audiences would take to the 12-year-old being the supervillain of the story. Then why did you fucking adapt Artemis? Yeah, Fowl? like it seems like so I don't wanna I don't wanna take the central tenet, the central theme of this thing, but I'm gonna adapt it. Like what's the fucking point? It's like adapting, also, Lo- it's you, like adapting you know Lord it, of the Rings and leaving out the ring. It's like doing a Goldilocks and the Three Bears movie, but deciding, ah, people aren't keen on bears. I say it's just about a girl who finds a house. Sure, sure. You know, it's like what the fuck it's every every choice they make. Every single one is contradictory to um, to to the original source in a way that doesn't add anything at all. Um, someone on my Twitter 
because I, I mentioned this morning, I'd watched it and I was like, I'm 10 minutes in and I already hate this. Someone on my Twitter summed it up beautifully. They said, uh, here it is. They said, um, it's like the Judge Dredd film, but every ty- every little change was as seismic as Dredd without the helmet. What, the, so the, the, the Sylvester Stallone, yeah, the 90s yeah. Sylvester Stallone film where like it's so not Judge Dredd. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just so not Judge Dredd. Some yeah, of the visual yeah, aesthetic yeah, 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 is, and that's yeah, yeah. it. It's it's oh, also kids and parents alike would absolutely take to the supervillain child protagonist of the series, and you know, being the being the title character, they absolutely would. Do you know why? Because these books are best fucking sellers and have been for nearly twenty mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. You're just a boy, Harry. I'm just a boy. Harry goes about his day as just a boy. Yeah. That's the Harry Potter equivalent of what they did yeah. to this fucking... F- I'm... S- uh, now, the book still exists, everyone. You can go read it. I'm Close probably going to gonna read book. it. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to seek it out and read its pages. Only watch the film if you are sadistic and want to hurt yourself. Or... I mean, I'm probably going to um, watch the film as well because I am both those things. Yeah, or if you are just morbidly curious as to how bad a young adult novel can be adapted. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't I'm g- say I'm particularly sadistic, but I am certainly into self harm. That's true. Which is why I don't know if you, I don't know if you hate or, or like your current thing. I'm, I'm trying to make up a segue. Matt, tell me about a thing as I glug down more of this delicious liquid. I'm going to tell you about a thing, but first mm-hmm. I'm going to nip upstairs to go to the bathroom. So. <laughs> Insert insert a sneaky ninja edit here, and then we're gonna get back downstairs, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dump some stuff on you. Are you ready? Wait, is that after you've been to the toilet or before? After I've been to the bathroom. Thank God. All right, so break starts, and now I I briefly ducked out to check on Luna because we thought she was indoors, but we just heard meowling. I've just let in a furry, hairy ball of sadness. Oh no. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a furry, hairy Mm. ball of sadness. So, Christopher, Mm -hmm. I've made no secret of it that I'm looking to get back on the the horse (laughs) of the, uh, the, (laughs) the plastic, metal and resin empire of a certain Nottingham based war games company. Yeah. That, that goes by the name of Games Workshop. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> on this night of nights, the fourth anniversary of our... Here are some results from the web. Fuck off, Google! <laughs> the fourth anniversary of our um, pop culture and... Um, fuck off, Google. Help. Just stop talking, that's how you can help. <gasps> um, she knows. I decided to take you on a crash course... Oh, okay. Of this the, is gonna be handy. Of the law. Excuse me. Of Warhammer Forty Thousand, aka Warhammer Forty K. Oh jeez. Are you ready, Christopher? Is I, your body ready? Am I gonna have to go and get a stiffer drink at some point? Because you better believe that I'm getting the the ninth edition is round the corner, and you better believe I'm getting the ninth edition box set, and you better believe that I'm gonna try and drag you into playing it for a stream at some point because 
What's better than pushing, pl- pushing plastic miniatures around and rolling a load of dice? Uh, Point up your ass. Fucking nothing. <laughs> oh, I mean, you should try the thing I said. Like, you should try that sometime. It's nice. Nope. So, Christopher, oh. before I start, what do you, <laughs> what do you know or think you know about Warhammer Forty Thousand, aka um, Warhammer Forty K, aka Forty K. De bulky space marine boys. There are indeed bulky space marine boys, and we're going to talk about bulky space marine boys in depth. <laughs> <laughs> They're also sweaty, like orc boys in certain oh, sets. There are sweaty orc boys. That's orc <laughs> with a K, not orc with a C, because copyright. And also, a forty K orcs are the best kind of orc in any fiction. Uh, I will fight you if you say otherwise. Uh, we'll get to the uh, uh, orcs with a K. There are also dinosaur people somewhere. Not like in reptile 40K. sort of soldier they're, things. They're a lizard man in Warhammer Fantasy. Oh, okay. Of which okay. 40k is a spin-off that became vastly more popular than Warhammer Fantasy to the point that a Games Workshop did a proper apocalypse for the Warhammer Fantasy setting and then rebooted it. Oh, Jesus! Because everyone preferred um, the, uh, the the Space Marine stuff yeah, instead. Yeah, so they, they, they actually did a proper apocalypse for the Warhammer Fantasy setting and then rebooted it as Warhammer Age of Sigma. Uh, which is uh. their fantasy battle. Basically, um, Games Workshop have three war game brands. They have Warhammer Age of Sigma, which is the inheritor of the Warhammer Fantasy uh, branding. Which um, a lot of wi- a lot of the pop culture influence has gone into um, Warcraft. Mm-hmm. But Warhammer is basically Tolkien on steroids. Um, Rage. Okay. Uh, Warhammer 40,000 is the sci-fi spin-off of Warhammer, and Warhammer 40,000 is basically Tolkien on steroids in space. <laughs> and then... So um, just Tolkien had he been on steroids? Yeah, and also in space. <laughs> I, um, I, I think I might be in space, girls! <laughs> in space! And then in when the films came Where's out... Where's the Hobbit milk? When the films came out in 2001 onwards, and... They continued on from New Line Cinema and later on Warner Brothers. Games Workshop also got the license for the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit yeah. films. And so they also have the Middle Earth strategy battle game, which is Tolkien. Uh, so they have Tolkien, Tolkien wait, on steroids, so, and Tolkien so they have, on steroids in space. They have orcs and orcs? They have orcs with a K and orcs with a C. And also greenskins. <laughs> Um, because one of the things that you will learn about, uh, about Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 as we, as we go on this little crash course is that they like to change the names frequently because they love their trademarks. The thing with Games Workshop is they're a, they're a company that loves legal action because they like to defend their trademarks despite all their stuff being incredibly derivative. Um, they like to get into legal fights with people? Yep. Are they an American company? Well, um, when they did uh, Warhammer 40,000 8th edition a couple of years back, because they're going into 9th edition now, they changed a bunch of names of the factions so they could more easily trademark them. Um, Like changing Eldar to Ildare and 
uh, Dark Eldar to Dragarians, and we'll get into that. Um, but it's it's, ma- it's mainly because they like to trademark stuff because they don't want people infringing in their copyright, but also they can't copyright certain. Th- it, it's a it's a whole thing. But I mean, as uh, the thing, the great thing about Games Workshop is it's a, it's a British company. Okay, all yeah, right. I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear that weirdly. Yeah, it's it's it works out of Nottingham. It was basically started by three nerds in Nottingham. Oh, of course. Yes, um, they have a big like store and yeah. museum to it all. The head, yeah, the, the headquarters yeah. is in Nottingham. I've been there a couple of times. Um, they work out of Nottingham. All the game design and model design and model manufacture happens in Nottingham. So the models are produced in Britain. The only thing, okay. the only thing that they don't do out of their Nottingham headquarters is the printing of the books. They're printed overseas and then imported. That's that's it. Um, okay, that's, that's how everyone found out that Ninth Edition Forty K was coming out this year because a bunch of books were imported. <laughs> ah, but, right. But also, stuff stuff came out early and gave the game yeah. away. But also, as a company, they do well enough that they are refunding their furlough grant from the government after the after oh. the. Uh, because of the COVID um, uh, uh, epidemic, they got a bunch of furlough money, but because they managed to get online sales running and their warehouse and their factory running with um, health and safety uh, uh, mandates in place quite early on, they made enough money from early online sales and managed to open some of their stores with social distancing measures in place to the point where they were they turned around and gone, okay, well, we got all this furlough grant from the government, but we've got to refund it because we actually made more money than we thought we were going to do because we handled everything. We got online sales more than we thought we were going to do, and we've ended up making a profit. So you can have this money back, government, and they've turned around to other companies and gone, if you were in the same boat, then you should probably do the same because... If you don't need this money, you don't need this money. Um, yeah, it's a good honor. Like, like that's amazing that they managed, they they were ahead of the curve and basically they were literally ahead of a curve. They went look, yeah, it'll simul- we can see we can see this destroying us. Yeah. so let's not let it destroy us. It'll simul- it's simultaneously a shitty and brilliant company, um, and British. <laughs> so you know there is that. It's it's not in Nottingham. It's not far from where we are, uh, if you can drive. So but Matt, we broadcast this from space. From space. But hey, remember what I said about Warhammer Forty Thousand? It's Tolkien yeah. on steroids in space. in space. So I, <laughs> I used to play Warhammer Forty Thousand. I'm gonna start playing Warhammer Forty Thousand again. I used to play Blood Angels, Space Marines, and Orcs. Let me tell you about all what those things mean. <laughs> all right? Yeah. So, the setting of Warhammer 40,000. So, have you heard of the grimdark aesthetic? Yes. That's That comes from 40K. Wait, that it term? Is, yeah, it is both grim... In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. That was the tagline for the, for the earlier... That is the ongoing tagline for Warhammer Forty Thousand as a game. Like that's a, that's a pretty great sci-fi action tagline. It's set well. It was set in the year. It was set in the forty-first millennium. They've since moved the setting forward to the forty-second millennium. Considering okay. we're in the third millennium now, that's how much in the far future this 
this setting is taking place. In terms of influences, it takes from Tolkien, it takes from Frank Herbert's Dune, it takes from Robert A. Heinlein's Starship Troopers, it takes from pretty much any sci-fi setting you can think of. I can't imagine why it struck a chord with you. I know, right? It's just... Oh, who'd have thunk it? So basically, the idea is, in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. Um... The Imperium of Man is beset on all sides by forces of chaos, by Xenos forces of aliens, by all sorts of shit. To give you an idea of what the Imperium of Man is. Now, the Imperium of Man is the human faction. It's made up of, of ver- various sub-factions. It's the most pop. It's the de facto, quote-unquote, good force in this war game setting. Right. It's hyper-fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. (laughs) And they're the good guys. That's not a thing. So extrapolate that they are the good guys and then go from there. And that's where you're ending up with how fucking mental this setting gets. Okay. And just to clarify... Just repeat that. Hyper-capitalistic uh, space Nazis. They are hyper-fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. Fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. Okay. Um, Okay. So they worship the god-emperor of mankind, who is the literal physical god, the emperor, who united the human race after the Dark Age of Technology... And went on a great crusade. Sorry, I needed to finish that for this. Carry on. (laughs) So he united the human race after the Dark Age of Technology and and created the Great Crusade. And then one of his sons, Horus, turned on him in the Horus Heresies and killed him. And now he's stuck on the Golden Throne. And the the great Imperium of Man that the Emperor wanted to found on rationalist atheist ideals has now been turned into a cult of worship of the God Emperor of Mankind. So he's become the very thing that he hates, but he's stuck (laughs) on the Golden Throne in a form of ongoing stasis and can't do anything about it sorry that wasn't me that was google (laughs) oh that was fucking google fuck's sake um (laughs) so she's like i've searched fundamentalist catholic space nazis yeah so basically what happened so the game is set in the 41st slash 42nd millennium in the 31st millennium the great crusade was ongoing which was the emperor he created 20 Space Marine Legions. And the Space okay. Marines are like genetically engineered transhuman warriors in suits of power armor. There were legion, there were 20 legions, and the leader of each legion was a Primarch who were... Um, Allowing people into the store without masks. Yes, exactly. No, Primarch, <laughs> P-R-I-M-R-C-M-A-R-C-H. Primarch. Not Take Primark. another swig. Take another swig. Yeah. Take another um, swig. <laughs> and there were 20 Primarchs, two of which were uh, stricken from all history for oh. misdeeds unknown, which, which which Games Workshop have, have kept as a mystery. So the, so the two of the 20 Primarchs are still unknown and their legions are unknown and who knows what the fuck they did. Um, so there were 18 legions left. They'll be unknown um, until sales are declining. Exactly. <laughs> um, now bring them back. So there's 18 <laughs> Space Marine Legions, uh, each headed by a Primarch, who was a, a son of the Emperor, uh, yeah. created by genetic engineering. The forces of chaos 
swept them up and scattered them across the galaxies or as part of the Great Crusade, the Emperor had to search for the Primarchs and reunite them with the legions that were based on their genetic material, a.k.a. Gene Seed. Um, Giggity. Which he did. And, and then Giggity. after he got all the Primarchs together, the forces of chaos, I'll explain chaos in a sec, um, <laughs> they corrupted half of the Space Marine Legions. So nine of the 18 Space Marine Legions were corrupted to chaos. Um, and, okay. and then the Imperium descended into civil war known as the Horus Heresies because the Primarch Horus was the leader of the Traitor Legions. Um, it ended up with the Emperor being mortally wounded and installed on the Golden Throne, uh, which is a life support apparatus which... Fuck off, Google. Which um, allowed him to uh, sort of use his psychic might to maintain the Astronomicon, which is the be- the psychic beacon which allows faster than light travel for the Imperium to make... And yeah, there's a whole thing. But basically, it broke the Imperium into fast forward 10,000 years into the 41st millennium. Space Marines are the warrior monk, transhuman uh, uh, shock troops of the Imperium. There's the Astra Militarum slash Imperial Guard, who are the human troops of the Imperium, who are basically cannon fodder, armed with laser weapons, which would be, you know, devastating by today's standards, but in the standards of the 41st millennium are basically flashlights. Um, There's... And there's a host of sort of chaos and extra-dimensional and alien enemies sort of bearing down on the Imperium um, as as we uh, as we go forward. Listen, this fucking setting is mental. <laughs> it's I don't know what you're madness. talking about. I'm, I'm having complete ease and understanding of everything you've described so far. And it's not terrifying me in the slightest. So Please continue whilst I bite down onto this uh, this wooden tooth brace that people use during electric shock There's basically three factions, right? Okay. There's the Imperium, which is mankind, and its yes. various um, uh, prongs, which is the Adeptus Astartes, or Space Marines, which are the transhuman warriors in big power armor, who are the sort of poster boys of 40k. And the Astra Militarum, the Imperial Guard, who are the normal human rank and file. The Adeptus Sororitas, the Sisters of Battle, who are basically nuns in power armor with guns. I'm uh, sorry, nuns with guns in yep. power armons. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus, who are the 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 the, uh, the tech priests of Mars, who have cyborg legions. Uh, the Adeptus Custodes, the Emperor's personal army, who are like, who are to space marines as space marines are to normal humans, all that sort of shit. The Inquisit, the uh, the Inquisition, which is basically the Spanish Inquisition, but look out, sin the Inquisition. Exactly. Let's begin. It is our mission. It's the Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> but for the hyper fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis, as we talked about the Imperium being before. Um... <laughs> Uh, and then and then there's the forces of chaos now chaos chaos right let's get this right chaos chaos so chaos exists in the warp which is basically hyperspace which is the ibaterium which is the empyrean 
which is also the place where it's what human faster than light travel is based on. So right. you go into the Immaterium and come out because time doesn't work properly there. But it's also a realm of incredible oh. psychic power where um, everyone's behaviour and, and such has an echo to the point where these echoes have coalesced into four major gods of chaos, which are corn. Fuck off! God is a supernatural being considered divine or sacred. Yes, I know, but that's not what we're talking about right now, Google. We're talking um, about the chaos fundamentalist for chaos uh, gods, space Nazis, hyper fundamentalist space uh, hyper fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis, um, yeah, and their enemies, those guys. the gods of chaos. So the gods of chaos is basically um, hell. Right. Okay. This so, is starting so, to. It's starting to, think, to make more sense now that the booze so, is entering my bloodstream. You know the movie, the, you know the movie Event Horizon. Yeah, the one that's like nowhere near as good as the deleted scenes. I mean, Event Horizon is the best movie Paul W S Anderson's ever made. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, but it's also Paul W S Anderson movie, so that's still not saying hey, that much. I fucking love Event Horizon, and I will fight you if you say otherwise. Um, You're part of the problem. <laughs> um, You're why he's been given so much power. So, <laughs> so a lot of 40k <laughs> fans basically accept Event Horizon as an unofficial prequel to 40k in the Wait, wait. In the, the Event wait, Horizon and it's wait. And, it's, and it's um faster than light drive is basically humanity discovering the warp. Right. Um, Hang on, wait, can you do that? Can you appropriate a completely different medium and pretend it's part of your medium's law? I mean, 40k fans do. So the warp That's so has, weird. That's uh, so weird. It has... That's like... That, that's so... Oh my god, that is bizarre. The warp has that's like That's like chaos. saying the reason why... The reason why Bourne, Jason Bourne, is yeah. an excellent infiltrator. And the reason why... Um, oh, what's it called? Treadstone and all that is the way it is. Mm? It's because one day... Uh, a notorious thief called the Phantom stole a diamond called the Pink Panther, and they were intrigued by the Phantom's methods. So they taught people the Phantom's hey, methods hey. of espionage and infiltration. Christopher, there <laughs> yeah. is a black, pa- there is a Pink Panther shout out in 40k. So don't even like. Here are some results from a search. Fuck nice. off, Google. Like, sorry, if- sorry, the black. The, wait, wait, hang on, hang on. That was the other Black Panther. The Pink, Pink Panther. Panther gets a shout out in Warhammer. So in back in first edition of 40k, back in the late 80s, it was a more small-scale tabletop RPG style game. And there were rules for creating your own characters. And as an example, in the in Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader, which was the first Warhammer 40,000 rule book for the create-your-own-character rules, they had an Imperial Inquisitor who was named, and I shit you not, this appears, this is a real thing, you can find evidence of it if you can get a PDF of the Rogue Raider rulebook, or if you can, uh, Snipe and Wib on YouTube are a great resource for old, weird, fucking 40k and Warhammer shit. There is an Inquisitor (laughs) called... Inquisitor... Yeah. Obi-Wan Sherlock 
Clouseau. Oh, no. The, oh, this is an EG character. This is an example this is a, character. This is an example the... character of how the create your own character rules work. Sherlock, um, Obi-Wan, Clouseau. Obi-Wan, Sherlock, Clouseau. Yeah. I didn't. I love the Pink Panther movies, but I wouldn't for a second be like categorically in my head going, eh, Sherlock Holmes, Star Wars, and the Pink Panther. They all fit, right? <laughs> like, Listen, what? that is how wide ranging 40K's influences are. So, anyway. I, I appreciate them for doing that. That's mad. Anyway, you've got the warp, <laughs> right? Which is hyperspace, it's a separate dimension. Time doesn't work properly there. It's the realm of psychic powers and magic and souls. There are four major powers in chaos, yeah? Right. There's corn. K-H-O-R-N-E. To avoid copyright. Yeah. The god of violence and bloodshed. Of course. Because when I think bloodshed, I think of corn. Yeah. There is Nurgle. Passing it is always hard. Nurgle. Shut up. N-U-R-G-L-E. The god of disease and decay and also acceptance. Because Papa Nurgle just wants to give you a great big hug with his virulent arms and turn you into a walking pile of plague. Um, There is... Here's what I found on the web. Why does he have a name like a Tweedies character? But he's so terrified. Well, it, no, to be fair, Tweedies are... Because it takes influence from the uh, Babylonian Nergal. Right, okay. Um, so they are they are using real-world kind go, of like mythology they, material. Listen, they... Warhammer 40k cribs from fucking everything. Um, there's... So there's corn. there's Nurgle... There's Zinch, which is uh, a trickster god, the god of chance, change, etc. That's T-Z-E-E-N-T-C-H. Um, and right. there's uh, Slanesh, which is the god of pleasure and decadence and sexy BDSM times. So you know, like Hellraiser, the Cenobites from Hellraiser? I was going to say, it's Hellraiser. Yeah. Times that by 50,000, that Slanesh. Oh. Because, you see, Slanesh was created by... Uh, there's a race c- called the Eldar, although in more recent lore they're called the Eldare because of copyright. Of course. Uh, Eldar <laughs> is, a, is a Tolkienist. They're the space elves, basically. Um, to the point where in first edition 40k slash Rogue Trader they were called space elves. Um, <laughs> in later editions, they were called Elder. So, Slanesh was born in the war. Guys, let's, let's maybe not use the Tolkien hey, shit anymore. Hey, we already put it in the book. <laughs> I will always call them Elder. Just saying. Um, so just Call them anything, just don't call them late for dinner. The idea is that when mankind was still in its infancy, the Elder were so decadent and bored with their basically immortal lifespans that they fucked the god Slanesh into existence. Like their orgies and decadence and just horrible like lives of excess and bullshit fucked Slanesh into existence. So you've got those four major chaos powers of of Korn, Nurgle, Zinch and Slanesh. So, 
Please continue. My brain is still processing that yep. last one a little bit, but yep. I'll, 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 I'll get, I'll, yep. Mm-hmm. Because after that, mm-hmm. the Eldar sort of fragmented into four factions. The Craftworld Eldar, who escaped on world ships, and and they um, collect their souls in soul stones, so as that they don't go to Slanesh. Because the birth of Slanesh also killed all but three of the Eldar gods. Um, uh, Segarak, the Laughing God, a.k.a. It's basically Loki, um, escaped and, di- and did his own thing. Uh, the Eldar God of or, War... Or in Loki's case, like, a horse. Yeah, basically. Uh, they did the, a horse. The Eldar God of War, Kayla Menchikain, was splintered into, um, into fragments and then is able to manifest on the battlefield as the avatar of Cain. Um, and the Eldar goddess Aisha was captured by the chaos god Nurgle because he loves her even because she's perfect, but he likes to experiment with all these plagues on her because he's weird and nurgly. Um, he's weird and nurgly! Yeah. And then ah! the, the Harlequins, <laughs> the Harlequins, who are the, the sort of the, the the dance troops and keepers of the history of the Eldar race, um, they travel between the various Eldar factions and dance the the history and lore of the of the Eldar race. But they're also working towards the birth of the Eldar god of death, Enid, who will um, destroy the chaos gods. But they're also in the service of Segarak, the Laughing God, because this is fucking weird. Listen, but I thought I saw I thought Segarath was gone. No, Segarak was one of the Eldar gods that survived the birth of Slanesh. Oh, um, gotcha. He was too busy having a yeah. titter in the corner. Segarak, Cain, and Aisha survived the, 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 the birth of Slanesh, and Enid, the god of death, is to be born via the efforts of the Harlequins. Uh, there's also a, um, a faction of the Eldar called the Drukhari, the Dark Eldar, who are basically Eldar that continued on the sort of decadent... Uh, Rites of torture and sensual pleasure that the original oh, Eldar right. had, but they they basically taught the capture and torture other people, so their souls go to Slanesh instead of instead of the souls of the Dark Eldar. Sorry, power um, controls is not yet supported. Oh fuck off, Google. Um, it's hearing you talk about gods and it's going. Yeah. I'm sorry, you cannot control the source power just yet. You must so, experiment further. <laughs> the Eldar, a.k.a. Space Elves, are the <laughs> yeah. race most likely to ally with the Imperium of Man, but the Imperium of Man is also incredibly xenophobic, so only the more radical elements of the Imperial cult will openly ally with the Eldar. Again, you're getting a picture of a, of a galaxy which is in constant peril from being fucked. Um, also, a contemporary of the ancient race of the Eldar is the Orcs. With a K. The Orcs with a K. Now, let me tell you about the Orcs. So, imagine a group of British football hooligans. I don't have to. They were all over the news on Saturday. Yeah. Paint them green. (laughs) Okay. That's the Orcs. Oh! Okay! So, the orcs were created by the Old Ones, who also created the Eldar. Um, 
And they were basically the perfect warrior race. They're fungal, so they reproduce by spores and they grow as mushrooms in the ground. And they emerge with a perfect inherent sense of their culture and their and technology and they just fight and the more they fight the bigger they get and the the stronger they get and they're orcs and they group together in big bands of orcs called waz and they go to wah <laughs> and they wait what <laughs> Their groups are called Waz. Waz! And they go to war. But and they, they call war Waz. And they and they charge into battle going, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, <laughs> I can't tell which bits of being a facetious comedy anymore. None of it. It's all facetious comedy and none of it is facetious comedy. Um, <laughs> the orcs are... They have latent psychic abilities, so none of their technology should work. But, but it, it kind of does. It works because they believe it works. That's a fucking <laughs> weird concept. So they just throw together massive machine guns about of, of from whatever scrap they can find, and it works because they believe in it. They paint... Like, the ones who like speed paint all their vehicles, their ramshackle fucking war trucks and war bikes and stuff. The ones who really like speed paint in red because red ones go faster. Um, because they, they believe red ones go faster, they so as a result, they faster, do. Red ones That's go so faster. That's so weird. Entire, so weird. Their entire economy is based around teeth because they regenerate teeth like sharks. But okay. the teeth... The teeth... Um, decay after a certain amount of time so prices stay constant so a single teeth a single tooth will buy you a squig pie and a mug of fungus beer fuck off google what does a squig pie taste of well a squig pie squigs are like the animals of the orc ecosphere so orc fungus can grow squigs or they can grow grots or gretchens which are like the diminutive goblin versions of orcs so they can grow big like full size orcs um, so they're green because of the fungus under their skin. Um, and so the technology so they grow, works. They grow, they grow from fungus and they're full of fungus. Yeah. And, and, and they eat squigs. Which means that once orcs arrive on a planet, it's really fucking difficult to get rid of them. Because they're basically a, 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 they're basically a weed. Yeah. they Fuck off, for Google. weed. They are they're they're a space. Here's what weed. I found on the web for nearest weed. What? All right. Oh, hey. Um, fuck off. Their <laughs> their technology works because they believe it works. They have things like uh, they they paint their vehicles red to go faster because they believe red ones go faster. So red ones do in fact go faster. Go faster. Uh, they have. It's things called like, the Sonic Principle. They have things like the shock attack gun which is a gun that takes little goblins, Gretchen Grots, and shoots them through the warp to materialise inside other... inside their targets. So you get a very wound-up Gretchen materialising inside its target and just tearing out, um, you know, going to hell for leather. Um, They knock out (laughs) each other's teeth for money. Because a single tooth will buy you a squig pie and a mug of fungus beer, and then a bag full of teeth will buy you a, a good old war truck and some lads to go to war with. 
Some um, lads, lads, lads. They, they, it basically, it's lads, 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 but what if they were, you know, brutal green skin apes who shoot everything on sight and like to use choppers? Big bits of metal that are shaped into various axe shapes. Be- yeah, various, be- basically function as an axe, essentially. Hey, Chris, do you like chainsaws? Ah! Uh, sure. Because if you like chainsaws, then Warhammer 40,000 has got you covered. Because you have chainsaws in the form of axes. You have chainsaws yeah. in the form of swords, which are very common. Chainswords are incredibly common. Um, chainswords. You, you have chain. That's so simple. I love you it. You have chain like the. So if uh, a space <laughs> marine assault squad, their standard armament is bolt pistols and chainswords. Chainswords being swords, which are also chainswords. Fuck off. And your search history is going to be full of chainsaws, weed, I mean, rare fungus. He already is, to be fair. But um, <laughs> bolt pistols are the main weapons of space marines and, by extension, chaos space marines, because basically in the Horus Heresy, half of the original space marine legions turned to chaos. So there's nine, there's a bunch of loyal space marines and there's a bunch of traitor space marines. It's all a thing. Um, and their main... Their main uh, firearm is bolt weapons, bolt guns. Bolt guns are basically uh, fully automatic grenade launchers. Sorry, automatic. Yeah. Grenade so launchers. bolt bolt weapons. So so bolt... not not a not a thump, boom, no. thump. No, boom. A bolt gun fires bolt rounds, which are like little mini RPGs. So imagine your conventional rifle ammo of today, but the tip of each rifle uh, bullet is a grenade. Okay. That's what Space Marines carry as their primary weapon. So just like, oh, don't mind this. It's going to cause the death of everything. Yep. But don't worry, I will accidentally press the wrong trigger. The the thing about Warhammer 40,000 is you've got to take whatever um, sort of sci-fi property it's aping from and then turn it up to 11. <laughs> and that's Warhammer. So you've got, you've got the orcs, which are, you know, Tolkien's orcs, but in space and also football hooligans and crazy. You've got the space marines, which are, you know, crazy warrior monks with grenade launcher machine guns and chainsaws and all sorts of weird shit. The uh, Imperium of Man, which is the closest thing you get to a good guy in this setting, is, you know, hyper-fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. Um, and <laughs> these, are the good, these are the good guys. All like, right. There, there are no good guys in this setting. Spoilers. <laughs> like, everyone is fucking awful. Um, Everyone's a monster. And, you know, when, when Games Workshop put out the statement saying, like, you know, we support diversity and, you know, equal rights, and if you don't, then... You know, you won't be missed from the hobby. Uh, basically, everyone was like, uh, GW a virtue signal. And it's like, you don't understand that Warhammer 40,000 was created by a bunch of, like, punks in the late 70s, early 80s who were very Antifa, so... Yeah, and, yeah whole... and, and also, what like, the company aren't 
the fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. Yeah, like that's the they just that make they have. the, the not, they make like tabletop games. It's, just, it's the same in the same way that when two thousand like there's a big influence of two thousand AD on Games Workshop. Yeah. Um. So, you know, Judge Dread isn't glorification of of police fascism. It's a it's a satire of police fascism. In the same yeah. way that forty K isn't a, isn't a glorification of fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. It's a satire of fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis. Um, how many times can we say fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis in this podcast? Um, I don't know, but I started taking shots when you did, and now I'm yeah. dead. Um, I'll give you a quick a rundown of the various other factions, because honestly, I could talk for about three hours about 40k, and no one wants that. Um, I do, kind of. So you've got Chaos, who are the, the warp gods. They do... They corrupted half the Space Marines, so you've got Loyalist Space Marines, who are warrior monks, and you've got Chaos Space Marines, who are corrupted warrior monks. You've got the Are orcs. there any other kind? Are there any other kind of warrior monks? Well, quite. You've got All the orcs, corrupted. you've got the Eldar, who are Space Elves, then you've got the... Uh, <laughs> it gets fucking weirder. Are you it's ready for this? Creation. So it's the Eldar Space Elves, and... Uh, <coughs> Uh, it's also hit me. Hit are me. you ready for this? It gets weirder. There's the Tau, who are space communists. Um, they're a fairly they're a fairly young race, and they're very technologically advanced. And by any chance, a... are they run by Tim Curry from that one game? No, but they have a caste system. And um... you knew exactly what I meant, though. That's the best part. You knew exactly what I meant. And in the uh... <laughs> They did a video game for PlayStation 2 called uh, Warhammer 40,000 Fire Warrior, which he plays a time. I remember! Yeah. And, um, you know, Burt Quat voiced your commander, so that's the kind of what they're aiming at. Um, Yeah. Burt, also the voice of Itoy at that point, Quok. Communist (laughs) China, but but in space. Um, And they're, they're, again, they're pretty close to good guys for the setting, but they are also bad guys. Like imperialist communists, expansionist communists, basically. Um, so there's the Tau. They, they, they have lots of battle suits. They're very anime inspired mechs and that kind of thing. Um, then there's the Tyranids. The Hume? The Tyranids. So you know what, what's their what's their deal? So we've had elves in space. We've had uh, <laughs> sorry, could you say that properly? Come on, elves in space. Thank you, thank we've you. Had, I, pay, we, I pay you for a reason. We've had warrior monks in space. <laughs> we've had Tolkien's orcs in space. In space. Tyranids <laughs> are Giga's alien in space. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Again! <laughs> so, Tyranids are an extragalactic threat which are almost entirely biological, um, very heavily psychic, they're a hive mind, and they are invading from outside of the galaxy to the point where the largest hive fleet is coming from under the galactic plane. Right, okay. So, um... Got High Fleet um, Behemoth and High Fleet Kraken coming from the Galactic West and the Galactic South. And then you've got High Fleet 
uh, Leviathan coming from underneath the galactic plane, trying to get as much of the galaxy as it possibly can. Here's what I found. Fuck off, Google. Um, uh, and basically, the Tyranids are so they're <laughs> they're Giga's alien, but they're hyper adaptive. And what happens is they they glom onto a world. They reduce all of that planet's biomass to a sludge. They drink it up, leave the world a barren, lifeless rock, and then take that biomass and use it to evolve to the next, to any useful uh, genetic information they use to evolve and then move on to the next world and next world and et cetera, et cetera. So they're another big threat to the Imperium because they're... coming out of con- all sides. A continuous parasite that migrates. Yeah, uh, think it's like it's part Giga's alien, it's part the thing, it's part the flood from Halo. It's Do like you know any yeah. sort of bio-organic um, That's Hello in French. Fuck off. How can I help? It's like, it's like any sort of bio-organic um, alien race you can imagine, but the models for them are very like carapace and chitin and uh, Do you know what it's making me think of? What? The Krillotane from Doctor Who. They're a bit like that, yeah. Like they go from world to world just stealing the best bits of each species and moving on. Yeah, but they're less they're less um intelligent and more like locusts. Oh, so more like, like the alien. They they go from yeah. world to world and they strip it bare. Ugh. So they're a huge Dirty threat. bastards. And they're just just wonderfully fucking weird with like big gigantic synapse creatures that have huge scything talons and then also bionic uh, um, biological weapons that are uh, uh, organic guns that fire beetles that eat flesh or acid that dissolves all bioorganic matter into a slurry that they can drink up and all that sorts of weird shit like tyranids are (laughs) fucking great if you like Giga's alien because you can just extrapolate from that point forward Listen, Google, will you just... Okay, Google. Okay, Google. (laughs) Stop fucking listening. Stop listening. Can I make a request? Yeah. Can we we not have her back on the show? She's a very bad guest. She's a very bad (laughs) guest. Stop (laughs) listening. (laughs) <laughs> oh I say stop listening it's taking me to a song by Tanita Tikaram fuck off um, alright alright a couple more factions before we finish of, uh, of a 40k just to give you a flavour of the of the setting um, <laughs> there are the Necrons so you know right. like Egyptian mummies and uh, zombies and all that sort of stuff yeah, that's so the sort of stuff that came to mind when you said Necrons. I was like, yeah, zombies, like cadavers brought back to life kind of thing. Yeah. It's that, but in space. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... <laughs> when the Necrons were originally introduced late in 2nd edition 40k, <laughs> early in 3rd edition 40k... They basically were Terminators. Okay, right. As in James Cameron's The Terminator. Yeah. Complete with the fact that 
they were skeletal um, metallic yeah. warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you shot them down, they had a special rule called "Will be back," <laughs> where they, if you killed one, it, it, there's a good chance that on the next turn it might just get back up. Okay, that's. I mean, as a player, um, that's quite a cool thing to have, like well, as, at your disposal. As the army has become more and more developed, and 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 the lore around them has become more and more developed, it's turned into a. They were an ancient pre-human race, who were tricked by the Catan star gods. Now, the Catan were a race of beings who uh, ate stars. One of which is possibly imprisoned on Mars, where the, where the Imperium's Adeptus Mechanicus is, and they may worship it as the machine god, possibly. One of which is the Nightbringer, who is the personification of death and maybe the, in- the inspiration for the Grim Reaper. One of which, called the Outsider, uh, ate other Catan and is currently imprisoned in a Dyson Sphere at the far galactic southwest. Um, they were tricked by the Catan into giving up their flesh forms into metal bodies, basically uploading their consciousness into metal bodies. And then went into... Uh, stasis and and has started to emerge in the late 41st, early 42nd millennium to reclaim the galaxy. They are Egyptian-influenced groups of uh, skeletal metal constructs. If they have insectoid influence, they have James Cameron's Terminator influence, they have Canoptech scarab swarms, like they're not being subtle about their influences here. And the yeah. uh, the ninth edition um, starter box, which I'm going to try and get hold of when it comes out, which is coming out later this year, is Space Marines and Necrons. Do you favor? Do yourself a favor and look up uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand Indomitus. That's the that's the new um, box set. That's Space Marines and Necrons. And it looks a fucking sick. Indominus is that? Indomitus. Indomitus. Okay. Uh. 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 Images. Uh. Okay. Let's see what Jesus boys. I'm seeing some skeletal mummy-looking buggers with multiple legs and big green. Gun things. Yep, they have Gauss weapons which um, use green lightning to flay their enemies molecular layer at a time. One molecular layer at a time. Oh god, they look like my worst nightmare. Yep! They're like tripods. They're, they're like mini tripods with skeleton heads. Like They, they look like the Terminator had the naughty sex with like something with three legs well let me tell you Christopher I'll be getting that Indomitus box set and at some point on stream me and you are going to play that Indomitus with those Necrons and those Space Marines I'm just saying there's one um, that looks like it's like an armadillo meets a raptor and one of its hands is a yep. scythe there's a scorp- <laughs> there's the Scorpec Lords who are the Necron leaders who are like Necron bodies on top of um, Scorpec legs yeah, there's there's dudes with like a massive bloody gun, and he's got a very important looking collar sticking oh, yeah. up. Oh yeah, 
There's ones um, that look like uh, they look like the oh sentinels from the Matrix sort of. They're like they yep. don't look quite like they have a shape. Yeah, they're just sort of there. If These are to, freaky looking. If you go to warhammer-community.com and then look for preview, what's in the box? That'll show you all the stuff that comes in the Indomitus box, both Space Marines and Necrons. But Necrons are basically the mummy in space. <laughs> That's the selling point to me. That's yeah. the selling point to me. And um, yeah, the Space Marines look. Oh shit! Of course, I was going to say they're primarily blue normally, aren't they? Well, they okay. All right, so because um, <laughs> was... they're sort of like a mix of space armor and traditional knight in shining armor kind of designs. It's like a slammed together mashup, is what I'm looking at here. Here we go. There were originally twenty space marine legions, two of which were declared excommunicate trade tourists before the Horus Heresy, and all records of them were struck. And then during the Horus Heresy. Uh, half the remaining Space Marine Legions, so nine of the remaining Space Marine Legions, became traitor and were yeah. cast out for the Imperium. And the remaining nine Loyalist Legions, after the Horus Heresy, were split into smaller chapters of a thousand Space Marines each. Uh, the Ultramarines, which are the blue uh, Space Marines that you normally see, uh, they um, created the sort of quote-unquote rules for Space Marines in the Codex Astartes. Um, and therefore, the Ultramarines are the sort of poster boy of Space Marines in the 40k lore, but they're just right. one of the Loyalist chapters. Um, we could do an entire podcast on the Horus Heresy and the Space Marine Legions. That's how much lore there is about them. I think the, we might have to at some point, because these the, guys look fucking great. The Omega the, symbol on all their stuff is hilarious, because it sort of makes them look like dark side groupies. Well, that's it's, it's upside down Omega symbol, because it's for Ultramarines. Oh, I see. <laughs> because they're from because their their Primarch Rubate Guilaman landed in the Ultramar system and basically founded the Roman Empire, but with Space Marines, and that's the Ultramarines. <laughs> um, they're the sort of <gasps> the Roman Empire, but in space. <laughs> Ultramarines are essentially vanilla Space Marines. Okay, so like all Space Marine chapters take their basic outline from the Ultramarines, but with their um, individual flavor on it. So I was a Blood Angels player. I played Blood Angels Space Marines. And Blood Angels are basically Space Marines, but what if they were also maybe vampires? <laughs> so... <laughs> this isn't a hat upon a hat upon a hat anymore. This is a whole fucking hat stand on legs. So they're... Because pri- each Space Marine Legion had a Primark. The Emperor created 20 Primarchs um, and they were all scattered across the universe by chaos in an attempt to foil him, but he created the 20 Space Marine Legions based on the genetic profile of each one of those Primarchs. Uh, Nine of the Primarchs obviously turned traitor, another nine of them stayed loyal, the other two were uh, stricken from the records before the Horus Heresy. Um... Ruboti Gilliman was the uh, Primarch of the Ultramarines. The Primarch of the Blood Angels, Sanguinius, who uh, came to rule the planet Baal, B-A-A-L, so as in the demon Baal, Um, he was an angelic figure to the point where he had straight-up angel wings. Okay. And was one of the few Primarchs to die during the Horus Heresy, fighting the traitor Primarch Horus, 
before in order to stall him for the Emperor to get there. Um, the Blood Angels Space Marines and their descendant chapters are racked by the psychic uh, footprint of Sanguinius's murder. And so they are often uh, driven into a bloodthirsty rage called the Red Thirst. Um, and Jesus. basically go mad. But also they're exceptionally long-lived, even amongst the transhuman Astartes. And very, very beautiful. And uh, they uh, dedicate great amounts of their time to great works of art and also mastery of battle. And they have red armor and they they just they're, they're vampires but also space marines i fucking love the blood angels and when i pick up 40k again and get the indomitus box set you can be fucking sure i'm gonna paint up those fucking space marines in that box set as blood angels oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> because they're yep. because blood angels are the best they charge towards the enemy as quickly as possible they tear them limb from limb they have a bunch of angelic uh, they're not the only chapter to have angelic uh, uh, imagery because they're also the Dark Angels, who are basically King Arthur Space Marines. Um, yeah, I listen. We can go into Space Marines, but we'll be here for another three days. Um, <laughs> um, but You're I'll like paint- a kid at Christmas—a terrible, terrifying Christmas. Listen, I'll be painting these cunts up red. I'll tell you what. Um, I'll be painting these guns up red. Oh, yeah. Out of context, that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard. Red armour, black shoulder pad trim, and the chapter symbol is a teardrop of blood with two angel wings. Oh, yeah, boy. It's sick. Hey, I've still got some of my old blood angels, but I've stripped the paint off them so you can't see them anymore. Well, I mean, you can see them, but they won't be red anymore because I've stripped the fucking paint off those motherfuckers. Ready to repaint them for a new edition of 40k. Listen, Christopher, I could literally talk for another three hours about Warhammer 40,000, but we've already talked for three hours. I don't know what else we can do without our listeners turning off and going, you know what? What's on HBO? I don't know what's on HBO. I don't have HBO Max. I couldn't <laughs> fucking tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you not on HBO Max. Gone with the wind. Oh. Um, hey, listen, <laughs> if you want to get into 40K, you just get into 40K. That's it. That's the rule, folks. That's the breaks. Well, here's the thing is that they, um, Games Workshop has sort of spun off its own publishing house called the Black Library, which is, of course, named after a thing in 40k lore, which is the Forbidden Library of the Eldar that's hidden within the webway that contains all the various works they've collected on Chaos, which is the Black Library. They, they named their publishing house the Black Library. There's various very, very, very good series um, that... Uh, fiction based in the 40k universe primarily the Gaunt's Ghost series by Dan Abnett who also co-wrote the modern Guardians of the Galaxy that you've been very familiar with uh, yeah. the Cyphus Kane Hero of the Imperium series which is a 40k flavoured uh, homage to the Flashman novels uh, by Sandy Mitchell which are very good um, oh fuck off Google um, 
So if you want to get the, sort of get your foot in the door of forty k law, you can do, you can definitely do worse by picking up a couple of Black Library novels, or, or um, they will serve you well. If you like um, gothic sci-fi, it will fulfil your various pleasure centres. I'm sorry. Could you say that slightly less erotically, please? <laughs> Fulfill your various pleasure centers. What the listeners can't see right now is that Matt leant into his microphone to say that, so I got to see the most erogenous part of the human body, his crown. My scabby forehead. <laughs> your score head. Honestly. Four score year and head. I am I have got scaly skin on my forehead and I don't fucking know why. Maybe I'm a Tyranid hybrid sleeper agent. Who fucking knows? That's Maybe. the thing that happens in 40k. Listen, anything you could imagine happens in 40k. Do you imagine it? It happens. It's Is it a fantasy trope? Yeah, it happens. But in space... Maybe you're a plasmancer. In space! Or, or, or maybe you're a crypto-thrall. I'm you okay, he's be- right. Crypto Maybe you're a scorpech lord. Hey, they they make they make um, servo skulls. <laughs> the Imperium makes servo skulls where they take the skulls of criminals and turn them into mini AIs because AIs are outlawed. Because of course, in the distant past of the human uh, Imperium, before the Emperor rose and united the Imperium of Man, there was a ba- there was a uh, rebellion of the Men of Iron. So man created AI and then it rebelled against him. Everything that has happened in various it's sci-fi, sci-fi. stories <laughs> has happened in the 40k universe at some point. <laughs> I think what I love about that is they still somehow make it sound medieval. The rebellion of the men of iron instead of just yeah. like, the robot uprising! Yeah. It is, <laughs> the toast has for, killed everyone! 40k <laughs> is literally fantasy in space! <laughs> and that's what it started out as. And even though it's moved past that, like, it's... Like, Warhammer 40,000 has surpassed Warhammer Fantasy in popularity. Like, no problem. Yeah. In in spades. But it is still at its root. Fantasy tropes. In space! That's what it is. And that's why I kind of fucking love it. Because it's just bonkers. And then people, like, they came out with their pro-BLM, like, statement on the Black Lives Matter movement. They're like, hey, we we are working towards doing more diversity in our model ranges. And we cherish diversity in our community and amongst our, our, our fan base. And if you're on board with that, then we're happy to have you in the hobby. And if you aren't, then you won't be missed. That's, like, that's literally what they said in the fucking statement. And people are like, oh, I hate how Warhammer's getting political. And I'm like, hang on. This thing was created during the Thatcher years as a sort of pushback against, like, conservative <laughs> politics and uh, hyper-fundamentalism. And also it's in the same vein as 2000 AD slash Judge Dredd in its criticism of... The things that it is, quote unquote, glorifying because it's satire. But you it's think, also now about it's war. getting political. Yeah, it's also about oh, war, mate. which is political. <laughs> it's the but like it's 
inherently political. Oh, the closest thing to good guys you have in this setting is the fundamentalist Catholic space Nazis, the Imperium of Man. They're not good guys! All right? they, are list- they are listening to you through Google, though. Fuck off, Google! <laughs> you know, it's going to be a pain in the ass. I'll tell you what, boy! Oh, fuck off, Google. Um, <laughs> listen, we've cracked in at three hours and eight minutes. Coming up on three hours and nine minutes. I think it's probably time to call this a podcast because this is our fourth anniversary, boy! Holy shit. I'll tell you what, when we can go to human places again and make it work, let's do a day trip. Let's do the Nottingham. Let's let's go there. Let's go to... Uh, Warhammer Bias. I will take you to Warhammer World. You will lose your shit, boy. And then you'll be spending an inordinate amount of money on models of what you can paint. <laughs> I wish that was the slogan. <laughs> like, spend money on models what you can paint. Because, as I said, they have Lord of the Rings slash The Hobbit, Middle Earth, which is Tolkien. They have Warhammer, which is Tolkien on steroids. And they yeah. have Warhammer 40,000, which is Tolkien on steroids in space. In space. Like, oh, my God. That's, for, that's, that's Games Workshop for you. That's Warhammer. Oh. Well, there you have it, folks. Matt and I explain fun things whilst intoxicated to each other. I'm very drunk right now. I don't, I don't know what day it is anymore, but I know which space marines to side with. Um, I also know at least enough information to be able to say thank you, everyone, for listening uh, the last four years. Uh, even if you joined recently, thanks for joining. You're only four years late, but we're, we're happy to have you. Thank you very, 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 very much. I love don't you look all. At the episode. In, in, yeah, don't... Unless you're racist or transphobic, in which case... Uh, fuck off or educate yourself (laughs) one of the two educate your ass Um, but occasionally at least once a week feel free to just waste your time by listening to us two idiots talk shit Yeah, Um, the podcasts aren't usually this long I hasten to add like this is an extra long one because it's our fourth anniversary show and and we're drunk and we just talk shit so and there were bathroom breaks (laughs) I'll edit the bathroom breaks out, don't you worry. No! Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. We'll I see what happens. Uh, I want to I wanna, I wanna thank everyone for listening. I want to thank the young man on the other end of the microphone. Because if it wasn't for Matt, this show wouldn't have been a weekly show consistently for four years. It's all down to him. So thank you, sir. Listen, thank I just face. need some consistency on my own anxiety. It will have literally led to me killing myself. So there we go. <laughs> Big damn intervention. Uh, <laughs> that got dark. Um, quick, send Welcome us frivolous to my nonsense. Nightmare. <laughs> send us frivolous I think nonsense. You're gonna like it. <laughs> at Big Damn Cast over on Twitter, uh, Big Damn Channel on YouTube for all of our content in one handy dandy spot. You can also watch us live on Twitch with weekly streams. Twitch.tv slash Big Damn Stream. Email bigdamncontact at gmail.com. That's the most one. important of all. If you want to help this show grow by year end of year five, we want to have at least six listeners. If you want to help <laughs> us grow, head to patreon.com slash bigdamncast. Chuck us a couple shekels. 
Once we're this damn pandemic, the things we'll be able to make. Slight disclaimer. I have no fucking idea what's going on with video content going forward. <laughs> I think we'll we work it out. We'll I think we just have to do a lot of solo stuff at the moment because the yeah. plans we were about to put into effect involved other people yeah. in rooms. <laughs> Let's we'll so, record a new pitch video because I don't think Big Damn Love every two weeks is going to be feasible, but we'll work it out. We're going to work it out. Copyright. And you lot, go, go sober up, you drunken bastards. What are you doing? It's disgraceful behaviour. Go watch Artemis Fowl. I'll sober you up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> oh. <laughs>